does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. So we've got a loaded show on a Thursday. I mean loaded. Lots of college football talk, little NFL talk, specifically Colts talk with Matt Taylor in the 2 o'clock hour. Indiana may be narrowing in on a head football coach. And the CEO of the company is back, and I was wondering where Eddie Garrison was, and then I found out, and this is my hope. It's my hope. I, I don't know this. You have a dream. But just so you know that things, the more they change, the more they stay the same. Eddie comes in today, just a few minutes ago, and we're all sitting around talking before we go on the air. <coughs> and you, Jimmy Cook, mentioned that your brother had commented that he enjoyed the story I told about Jim Morrison and the Doors. Yes. That Greatly was, what, enjoyed it. Two or three days ago? Yeah. Totally spontaneous story about when I called Jim Morrison's sister when their father had passed away, and she told me the story about Jim Morrison when he left the house and started the doors and everything else. And it was a fascinating conversation, for me at least, and I retold the story. Yep. Eddie Garrison says, and I quote, Eddie, would you like to share with our listeners what it was you said during this conversation? Eddie, I just want you to know, welcome back. <laughs> I love you, man. I'm glad, glad to have you back here. Thank you. But I Jimmy, you're who? on my side on this one, right? Yeah, I am. I am. I, but... I said who? So you've never heard of Jim Morrison? Nope. Now, I showed you the images, the, the pictures, the poster of Jim Morrison, the American poet, the famous... It, photo of him with no shirt on and his arms out and his long hair you'd never seen him before negative okay now he was of the same era of a music festival that i referenced called woodstock and you were or were not familiar with woodstock i have no idea what woodstock is okay are you familiar with janice joplin somewhat uh joe cocker nope um the Beatles? Yes. Come on, Jake. Can you name the Come four on. of them? Come on. Uh, probably not all four, no. Okay. Uh, anyway, a lot to talk about today. How are you? Welcome back, by the way, Eddie. Thank you. On that nice note, to right? be back. How was your time away? It was nice. I do have a question for you guys that we can either go into now or we can save it for later. How, how was your time living in North Korea? It was awesome. <laughs> Uh, Man, it makes jury duty look great by comparison. <laughs> That's right. That. Eddie apparently was there from age zero to 20. Yeah. Uh, so Tuesday afternoon slash evening, Olivia and I were over at the Greenwood Park Mall. And okay. Olivia is? What? Olivia is? My girlfriend? For those, for those who don't know, for the, the first oh, time okay. listeners. Okay. I, I was like, where are you going here? I don't know. Um, it was a little cold Tuesday, so we're walking back to the car after we were done shopping for right. Christmas and whatnot. She goes, oh, it's cold out here. I'm like, uh, I think it feels great. I'm like, I'm totally fine. She goes, well, it's because you have insulation. I said, did you just call me fat? <laughs> she declined to answer the question. You're portly. Yeah. You're a portly fellow. Yes. I was like, am Are I? Are you asking us if we if we would list you as fat? No, I'm saying, did she call me fat? <laughs> yes. Yes. That's what I thought. Yeah. She was basically saying to you that along with um along with probably a a subscription to Paramount or one of those that has documentaries about things from 
eras before you, you probably should get a gym membership. That's what she was kindly saying to you, right? Not depends. Were you wearing an insulated jacket? No, I was. Okay, all right, I was I wearing sweats and a hoodie. Right, Honestly, you're built like a catcher. So I wouldn't say you're fat, yeah. but you're portly. Yeah. yeah. Right. Stocky. Stocky's a good way. Stocky, polite way of saying fat, right? Yeah. Okay. So that's Stocky Eddie, the CEO, right? Can we yeah. call you that from now on? That's Stocky fine. Eddie? That's fine. You can call me Husky. I don't care. Husky, another one, yeah. If you did, you have Husky jeans when you were a kid. No, those are the jeans for the more portly gentlemen on the, on the school block, and then tough skins for those that just constantly wanted to. to By the way, I made my return with the chai tea as well. Of course, yes, yeah, yeah. you're back. He's so back. Did you put a lot of sugar in your chai tea? No, yeah, that's what the fat people do. Let it, letting Jake <laughs> down and drinking chai tea, an honest tradition here on Clearing Company. Uh, did you guys see that? You know, James Madison is a college football program that. We've actually kind of mentioned, I mean, I mentioned that my buddy Doug Weiler went to JMU, and if it makes you feel better, Eddie, at one point in a momentary lapse of forethought, I asked Doug when we were in college, I go, now who exactly was James Madison? He's like, "Uh, the president? I'm like, oh, that's right. I know Monroe. Obviously, I knew Madison, too. I'm a president. I love presidents, but I, so if it makes you feel better, Eddie, I I also have had those moments. Um, He didn't call me fat, though. But apparently the head coach at James Madison now entering in a late a late entry into the sweepstakes to be the head football coach at Indiana University. That yesterday, unless something has changed this morning that I saw, guys, that last night from Zach Osterman Osterman, right? Yes. Um, Kurt Signetti, I assume that I'm saying that correctly. He's had success everywhere he's been. And that apparently, according to the Indy Star, he may be now kind of pulling in front of everybody. Paul Christ is the guy out of Wisconsin that I've always kind of thought was one as well that was going to be a front runner, and his name seems to consistently stay there as well. Yeah, Eddie and I were talking about this before the show started. The more that you see Paul Christ's name hang around in terms of these, they're not even like reported finalists, right? But just as the list narrow down and where people think this search is, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. He's, he's definitely the most tenured of the bunch right and has has had success in terms of big 10 play so yeah i I would not be mad about that if i'm not you fan i I am interested to see if he continues to be on these lists as the hot seat or hot names continue to get chopped week by or day by day and week by week but yeah it's it's been good to see his name still floated in there and not just a clickbait guess like some of the early work hey was. if they get signetti that i I think that's a big hire. i don't think it's bad either no i think it's a big hire I, i think he's James Madison is a bit of a juggernaut, to be honest with you. I know that, you know, obviously they're not playing in, as we know, like a power five, but he's had a lot of success there. He's He's been an assistant at big places. He's coached big-time players. I think it's a great hire, if that's who it is. And I'll give Scott Dolson all the credit in the world. I mean, if, if they were able to go down and and get him, then I will eat crow on the fact that I said, like, it didn't seem like they had a plan. That's an aggressive plan because I'll bet you there were other schools looking at him. And maybe they did what we said they should do, which was sell on, look, you can come and coach in the Big Ten in a league that looks like, you know, it is obviously going to be the power conference for now in college football because of everything that they've done uh Colts with the walkthrough yesterday then back on the practice field and we'll talk a little Colts later on today but interesting one coming up on Sunday Jimmy because it doesn't seem <coughs> like Tennessee is this overpowering opponent and and it feels like the Colts should be able to go down there and kind of take care of business but 
The Colts are also coming off three games, and I'll give them credit. They did what they had to do in those three games. But is there any chance that the Colts were given like almost a false sense of identity or confidence based on the fact that they just beat two of and maybe even three of the top or, or excuse me, the bottom probably five teams in the league, right? The team? No, I don't think so. The fan base? Yes. I feel like it's easy to get lost within a three game winning streak and think to yourself like, hey, maybe this is a team that's going to run the table and perhaps make a deep run in the playoffs. And I realize that's not every fan, but it's definitely some of them. And in terms of where the Colts are at, no, I don't think it's a false sense of security. I think that Shane Steichen is too good for that. I think this team as a whole is too good for that. The more surprising note of anything with where this team is at right now, and this is from our own Kevin Bowen, they're looking for their first four-game winning streak in five years. That's amazing. Especially when you we're talking about a franchise that it was just accustomed to starting out Correct. 10 and 0, right? Correct. Yes. So you just snooze, repeat, wake up, rinse, you're 10 and 0, right? That's how things always went. But no, I mean, you look at where Tennessee is at. This falls underneath the same category as I mentioned for the Tampa Bay game and the same category that things are going to fall through for the rest of the Colts remaining games outside of maybe Pittsburgh and maybe Houston, which is that it, they're not a good football team. They've lost three of their last four. Derrick Henry has not been himself over that stretch. He's been under 100 yards in four consecutive games. Last time he had a 100-yard game was on October the 29th. Will Levis has struggled at times. He's looked every bit of the mixed bag quarterback that he was coming out of college and yeah, they're four and seven. Now it's still a divisional game. Like I know that gets, I know people get tired of hearing that, but you look anywhere across the league and if it's a divisional matchup and there's competency anywhere on those rosters, it's going to be close to begin a game. It's how you separate as that game goes on to where you find out. All right. Yeah, it's a divisional game, but they're going to take care of business. So no, I don't see this as a real stumbling block as long as the Colts continue to do what they've done the last couple of weeks, which is regardless of who's on the schedule, you dictate tempo. You're able to utilize your running game and take pressure off of Gardner Minshew and buying in right now. This might change on Monday, but as it stands, I feel confident in Zach Moss's ability to still handle that load and be the same back that he was to start the year with Jonathan Taylor now. Well, out you made a good games. point yesterday, Jimmy, and the fact that Zach Moss, when it comes to Tennessee, there's familiarity there right. in terms of the running lanes, right? He had his best game of the year there, right? 120 yards, two touchdowns. I might be off on the yardage, but he was definitely north of 100 yards, and it was his best game in a Colts uniform, and that's something you could build off of, and part of that starts with winning up front, and the Colts have been able to do that many a time this season, and especially last week when it was a, not by committee, but the carries were split more between both Moss and Taylor. That's kind of your perfect look, right? Is keeping your healthy back fresh. I get it. He winds up getting hurt. So there is some irony there, but in this instance, you're trusting Zach Moss to still be able to be a lead back as he showed he was capable of the first couple weeks of the season, and you can't rely on Trey Sermon to necessarily do what Zach Moss was doing in that second role, but if you need to change a pace back or you need to give him a breather, He's there for that. So I'm not totally worried about the running game taking a step back. I am curious to see how they utilize backs in the passing game, though, now without Jonathan Taylor. Zach Moss is still capable of filling that role, but it felt like they were really hitting a stride in terms of that element of the passing game over the last couple of weeks. So, Eddie, you were curious for us to interpret Olivia's comment, right? Yep. We went over that quickly, but you wanted us to, to really break down and interpret that, right? Sure, yeah. So you're leaving uh, Greenwood Park Mall, right? Yeah. And you comment, you or she commented that it's chilly. She did. She commented that she was cold. That- she commented that it was cold because for most normal people it was. It was like 20 degrees. And then you said, no, well, it's fine, right? Yeah, I don't. 
And you were wearing what? I was just wearing a hoodie and sweatpants. Okay, and then she said, well, you have insulation. Well, you're insulated is what she said, I think. Uh, First reaction that I've got here from a listener. Jake, let Eddie know. She was telling him he's fat and she's going to leave him if he doesn't lose weight. Oh, wow. (laughs) I don't think she's leaving me, but thank you for the comment. Well, you never know, Eddie. I mean, you know, we can't be overconfident, right? I mean, Peyton Manning didn't think he's going to be cut either. You know what I mean? That's true. I mean, did you ever think, you know? (laughs) I mean, have you checked? One of the most surreal moments of my life was reading back when the Indie Star still had an agate page in the back. Maybe they still do. But where you read transactions, and it, it would have been towards the end of that time period where those things would be listed in the paper. But I'll never forget, just out of curiosity, looking the next day, and transactions, National Football League, Indianapolis Colts, released quarterback Peyton Manning. I'm like, man. That feels crazy. like one that somebody would have cut up and kept. Like, you know, people would cut yeah. headlines out of there the paper. Was, you, that feels and, like one somebody would have held on and to. And you know what? And then underneath it, it actually listed a player they signed, and I've always forgotten who it is. I, I mean, it was somebody that was there for three weeks and then got released again. But I've always wondered, like, who is the poor SOB that's, like, in a bar right now? Like, I'm the guy that the Colts released Peyton Manning so they could sign me. You're giving a bar trivia night host a great uh, question totally. for, their, uh, for their Thursday roundup. Great question, for sure. <laughs> um, did, did you have anything on underneath the hoodie, Eddie? Just a T-shirt. Did, is there a chance she thought that was the the insulation? No, I don't think so. Okay, yeah, I think she was probably calling you portly. Yeah, me too. Who, who do you guys cook at home? Yeah, you go to dinners a lot. Uh, we usually try to go out two times a week. Who prepares most of the meals? She does. Okay, well then, then you're probably a little bit off the hook there. If she starts preparing for you, like if if literally if. It's like yogurt and a little side of <laughs> granola and then a glass of water for like a month straight. That might be a subtle hint. This reference isn't going to do anything for anybody, and Eddie definitely hasn't seen the movie. But if you've seen the movie Sea Biscuit, if you start looking like Tobey Maguire, who played Red uh, the Jockey, and your plate is all of a sudden have like five little tiny peas on it and a little tiny spoonful of mashed potatoes, I'd start getting worried. Eddie, you're fam- are you familiar with Sea Biscuit? Nope. That's okay. That I mean, that's not. H- hold on. You've never heard of Seabiscuit? I have not. Just add it to the list. Secretariat? Yes. Man of War? No. War Admiral? No. Sorry. Upset? No. Seattle Slough? No. All right. Okay. American Pharaoh? Yes. You right, have heard you of go. that Peyton Manning guy, right? <laughs> yes. I just want to make sure. Okay. Just to clarify, I don't, I don't view... A lot of people don't like... My dad raced and owned horses for a long time, so like the Derby's within me but a lot of people it's not like they have no idea i think most people know seabiscuit and secretariat like there are certain things in sports that and i'm not saying this big on eddie i'm saying in general each sport has its few transcendent sure names or events like i don't pretend by any stretch of the imagination now that in the United States of America, that IndyCar open-wheel racing is a mainstream sport, but I think most people still know of the Indianapolis 500. Sure. I think most people still know of the Kentucky Derby, even though horse racing's really kind of taken a peak here in the last handful of years. You know, I don't know how many people remember Cigar or sure. or Alidar or whatever, but right. they remember Secretariat and, and probably Seabiscuit because of the book and then later the movie Correct. that you're referencing yes. there, right? Yeah. Um, the same like in tennis. I don't know how many people still today follow men's tennis, but they and, and obviously you know but from the American standpoint, I'm saying, but I think people still know of John McEnroe and sure. Jimmy Connors, 
just it, because they were at such a height and they were transcendent. And even if they don't, this generation would know Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, Correct. right? Correct. Woods, Palmer, and Gall. Like, yes, Ali boxing. Yes, there's there's transcendent names that stick for sure. Uh, did you watch any college basketball last night, Arkansas and Duke? I uh, caught a little bit of the back end of that, um, but otherwise didn't get a chance to see that entirety. The highlight you? of the game was the PA announcer saying, folks, please do not rush the floor. And that lasted about five seconds. Do you think that's one of those where the PA guy knows he has to say it? Yes. But he realizes that eh, it's not. Probably I did my job. Hey, it's on security now. Yeah. I, I, I gave the warning. I always kind of liked Arkansas when I was in, I was in school during the Nolan Richardson era, Todd Day, Lee Mayberry, um, Oliver Miller, and then later the Scotty Thurman, Corliss Williamson teams. I don't know why, but I always kind of liked Arkansas. I liked the way they played. Um, a lot of people like them now. Eric Musselman, Must Bus. A lot. Of, a lot of people Eric enjoy Musselman's, the enthusiasm. Those there. teams are fun to watch, yes. right? Yep. yep. I mean, they're, they're but they got off to a slow start here. They've got three losses already. They lost to North Carolina, Greenville or Greensboro, I think it was, and you know that's a big win for them to beat Massive. Duke. And Duke is another one that you know you do wonder, Jimmy. I, I do think that Duke under John Shire will be able to sustain but you never know I mean he is able to still get obviously big time recruits coming in so he's not necessarily living off of like the previous regime that off of just legacy itself but you know it's still even if Duke is having a down year which I don't know that they are yet I mean we can't say that but but beating Duke is beating Duke right yeah it's a signature win. It will always be a signature win, especially when they are ranked inside the top 10 like they were. The, the biggest thing when you look at the ACC for me is you've had these two changing of the guards over the last four or five years at two of the pinnacle programs of the sport in North Carolina with Roy Williams and then Duke with Mike Krzyzewski, obviously Hubert Davis at North Carolina and John Shire now at Duke. And you're, whether you are doing it subconsciously or not, you're watching both these Blue Bloods and you're seeing are they both going to stay sustained and be powers over this stretch like they have been for pretty much throughout time, but as those two men in particular were able to do? Or is there any tapering off? And where do expectations and job security and all of that shift with these two? I think Hubert Davis did a great job. The jury's still out a bit for John Shire, but that is the fascinating part whenever there's a changing of the guard at big programs, whether it's in college or whether it's in professional sports, where does the culture of those programs change? Does it stay the same? Does it elevate or does it regress? And like I said, it's too early at this point for me with John Shire. Uh, this from Puma, by the way. Eddie, you paying attention? Let it go, Jake. We really uh, Are we really going to keep fat shaming him? Yeah, he's laughing, but is he really laughing? This is cringe and you sound like a total ass. <laughs> <laughs> Am I the one that brought it up? No. Who brought it up? I did. Okay. So you brought it up Wait. as a legitimate, lighthearted question, Just correct? Just to clarify, correct. Puma the brand or Puma a person? I just want to make sure. Like is the Puma official... the bot. Ah, the bot. Okay, yeah. good. All right. I was going to say, if the actual brand is weighing in on Eddie's... So, Eddie, true or false, you actually are the one that, that presented this, not me. I presented it. And you presented it lightheartedly under the like subtlety, right, that perhaps you were questioning whether or not your girlfriend actually had said that and asking us to verify your own thought, yeah. correct? Correct. Okay. Because I just texted her, I said, oh, Jake and Jimmy, by the way, agree with me that you were calling me fat indirectly. Right. And, and she, she goes, said, OMG, no, I wasn't. <laughs> did she laugh after the shed it? Was there any apology? There was a laugh, yes. Did you, right. did okay. you ask her to I think after she what said, she, she realized what she had said. Okay, then, then you're good. It's all good. Yeah. So she would have said, yeah, 
Do you consider that we were legitimately fat shaming you? I am shaming no. you for not knowing Jim Morrison, but am I fat shaming you? Eddie, no. Eddie, I've put on seven pounds since May. I'm not fat shaming anybody. That's, that's a true statement. <laughs> Have you really? Oh, yeah. It's not good. It's not good. It's I mean, not I, good. I, I could stand to lose a little myself. <laughs> you know, what we could do is we could, and this is a tradition on this program, we could do um, talk about a weight loss challenge and then keep it up for three days and never mention that, it. That sounds like a plan to <laughs> me. That's a tradition as old as time. That's right. <laughs> we'll just talk about it all the time. And then when people come after us, we'll say, yeah, but I, I told people, I, I encourage people to lose weight. That's what we'll do. That's a fun program. It's, a it's fun for the whole family. And the best right? part is, even if it doesn't go anywhere or if even fat shaming gets accused, we don't have an HR department anyway, so it's all that's good. That's right. Are, are, are you at all worried about the workload that's going to be re-added to Zach Moss now that he's changed? Because I, I don't feel that way, I but don't, I get your because, thoughts on it. No, I think it's a good point. Uh, it's not an area of huge concern for me just because we have seen at least that he is able to sustain it week to week, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a lot of talk, and I, revisionist history is always just that, but and hindsight's always twenty twenty. But at the time, at the trade deadline, when there were people that were like, "Hey, do you now that Jonathan Taylor's in the mix, do you flip Zach Boss and try to get you know a, a fifth rounder out of him?" I, we might have even mentioned that on this show as a possibility. But in hindsight, it's a good thing that they didn't do that, right? Because he is, you know, if they're going to try to stick around in the playoff push, which there's no reason to think from here out that the Colts are not going to stick around and loiter in that playoff waiting room because right now they're, they've been they've, they've got their name called everybody was in the waiting room the Bengals the Colts are all sitting there reading uh you know a six-month-old people magazine and the doctor came out and said uh Indianapolis go ahead come on in and so they're in now right yeah and the rest that are in the waiting room none of them really are ready to make a step forward so like the Colts just have to hold serve in order to I mean what did we say that they need to finish here they've got if, Six games left. Four and two gets yeah, them in, probably, if they, right? If they go four and two, it, depending on the two losses, they'll still have a greater than 60% chance to get in in most simulations. If they go five and one, it's a near certainty, like 98%. And if they win out, then yeah, they're locked in. They're going to the playoffs. And I would think that, you know, that four and two gets them in. And obviously, they want to stick around and be in exactly that. They, they want that situation. Now, in the end... Are we going to look back two years from now and think that the franchise really gained a lot if they were to go in and then go to Kansas City or Baltimore and get beat? Look, I, I said this in September, and I've moved on from it now because draft order is out of the question. It doesn't matter anymore. Right. The draft order is pretty much set for significant picks for where the Colts can move up if they wind up not tanking, but if they really fall off the horse and were to go like, Lord forbid, one in five over these final six games, right? That It's not going to do anything for them. While you're here, you might as well make that push to the playoffs. But yeah, when you look back on it in two years, if it winds up being what I thought it was going to be in September, which is a probably double-digit two-score loss to a better AFC team, no, you probably won't have a ton to take away from it other than, as you mentioned and as we talked about yesterday, a better foundation and a better culture has changed for when Anthony I, I Richardson returns. It. I mean, you are introducing younger players to what it's like to be playing in meaningful games late in November, into December, and that's something to which you want to take a step forward, right? We're not going to take a step forward. We're going to take a step back. I simply mean that by if we were standing on Monument Circle and we wanted to get to Tennessee, we'd have to walk backwards to get there. But we're going to take careful. a road trip instead of doing that. Road trip next, Tennessee, talking about the Titans and Colts on Quarian Company. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. I-65 would be the road we'd take to get to Nashville, or to get there, we just simply talk to Joe Rexroad, who joins us from The Athletic to preview the Colts and the Titans on this, the Thursday road trip. Brought to you by our friends at AAA. And Joe, I'll begin with this before we get to the football game. We just were talking about last night I caught the tail end of a game where I believe you were. I've always wanted to go to a home game at Arkansas. I've been to a football game. I've been to Fayetteville, obviously, but never to a basketball game. Pretty good environment last night, right? Oh, I've never been there either. Oh, I'm about Arkansas Duke? Oh, sorry. Did you say... Sorry, I thought you That's said my Joe. My, my, my apologies, my Joe. Bad. Our next guest was at Arkansas Duke last night. Have you better been to Arkansas, Joe? Let me ask you that. Now you now you made me feel bad because that that is that's on my bucket list. I mean, I've it would be cool, right? SEC. Yeah, but, uh, no, that place is supposed to be ridiculous, and it looked like it was last night too. I was so kind of wondering. I'm like, me, that, it's on the list. I thought, man, he must be doing some SEC double dipping here. All right, so let's focus on Tennessee and <laughs> Indianapolis then on Sunday. My apologies. I. I was thinking about this on the way in. Now that, and I think we knew that eventually probably the keys were going to be handed over to one of those two quarterbacks in Tennessee, right, with Ryan Tannehill's career in its twilight. How are they different with Will Levis than what they were, let's say, at the beginning of the year? Are they doing anything schematically different, or are they having Levis learn what they were already doing? Nah, not too different. I mean, really, when it comes down to with this team, it's – just trying to figure out some way to give a quarterback a remotely clean pocket, you know. So, I mean, it's it's a lot of the same stuff. It's the same run scheme. It's still a pretty heavy reliance on Derrick Henry. Although, again, I, I mean, I, I think the Titans, I think the Titans have had a case this year as the worst offensive line in the NFL. Although, having just seen the Carolina Panthers come in here Sunday, I I'm not going to give them the top spot anymore. But, yeah, in terms of scheme, I mean, they're doing basically the same stuff. Uh, and, look, Levis has been Levis has been impressive in terms of just operationally, you know, being able to to run everything well. I think in a lot of, in a lot of ways he doesn't look like a rookie out there. He's been good at the line of scrimmage and, uh, for the most part, been pretty impressive throwing the ball, too. But, yeah, it's, it's a lot of the same. It's the same offense from Tannehill to Levis. Now, I would say that I'm going to ask you the dumbest question I'm going to ask, but clearly I let off with that, right? But, Joe, <laughs> is, is this now Levis's team? Excuse me. Is this Levis's team? Have they handed the keys for good? Well, I would say yes. Now, you know, it's one of those things where if he really struggles the rest of the way, and let's say they lose out, which is possible. Um, and they're in position to grab one of those QBs, and they're completely enamored with one of those QBs, and they're really high in the draft. You know, I, I can't say zero percent chance, but pretty much yes. Uh, they've been impressed with him. Again, I've been impressed with him. He's, you know, he comes out the first day and he's throwing bombs all over the field. He throws four touchdowns against Atlanta, and it hasn't been like that. But anybody who watches this team again knows the limitations. Not just a bad offensive line, but and I mean a really bad offensive line, but yeah, you, know, you got DeAndre Hopkins who has been good, and then whatever else out there, you know, trying to catch his passes. I mean, it's been it's been very it's a very difficult situation for a quarterback. I would say yes, but you know there is I mean the week the weekly information on him 
uh, is still, I think, important right now. Joe, at this point, where is the vibe within this team in the front office? Because you mentioned the thought of them looking towards the draft or looking towards here in a couple of weeks, whether or not it's another quarterback or a playmaker or wherever they decide to go. But in terms of positioning, they're in that kind of purgatory land nobody wants to be in where you're four and seven. There's a ton of teams that are already in the top five that you really need them to win out to be able to advance your own draft stock where where is their mentality right now at four and seven in terms of how they're approaching these final six games and I get it with coach Vrabel like he's not taking games off but from a front office standpoint where is the vibe of the franchise with six games to go and not a lot to play for yeah it's a good question I mean obviously the locker room I mean look Jeffrey Simmons they beat Carolina and he's talking about still catching Jacksonville Sunday you know (laughs) and that's one of the things I love about the NFL is that like you you know teams aren't tanking you know coaches and players they're not they go out here every week and get their bodies and brains battered in they're they're not tanking they're trying they're scratching and clawing to win every week but you know it's a good question on the front office and of course there's a lot of I mean I mean I'm sure they'd love to have the best pick they can get but it's also, I mean, you know, Rand Carthon is a new GM, and he did not have what I would call a good first off season, at least in terms of free agency. I think the draft class actually looks okay. But you also have this different timelines thing going on with Vrabel, Carthon. They fired John Robinson, the GM, in season last year. So Vrabel gets more power. But now he has this new GM, and then now we have a lot of noise out of New England about the Patriots wanting to trade for Vrabel and people wondering about the Vrabel-Carthon relationship. And so all that stuff, there's a lot of distraction going on right now as well when you ask me about, like, what's the mindset. I mean, it's it's a really interesting, I think maybe a delicate situation. Um, I mean, right now I would still expect Vrabel to be the coach, and I would expect you know Carthon to be the GM, and if that's the case – this next offseason, wherever they pick, you know, they pick 6th, 12th, 8th, whatever, I mean, they're going to have more than $100 million in cap space. They have to do a major renovation of this team. There's no excuse that next year Will Levis should be running for his life again. No excuse for him to only be thrown to DeAndre Hopkins. So, you know, whatever, whatever they end up the rest of this season, I mean, what's coming for that front office is critically important. You know, sometimes, Joe, Joe Rex, Rod, Rex Rode is our guest, excuse me, from The Athletic, talking about the Titans. Sometimes with teams, one of two things happen. You know, you either just don't draft well, and so therefore your cupboard's kind of bare when guys age out, if you will. Or there are also times where you have veteran players that are so effective late in their career that the younger players just don't get a chance to kind of blend in. So when they fall off, all of a sudden you got guys that just haven't been there before. Which is it with Tennessee? Have they really faltered from a draft standpoint and they have young players that have gotten good reps but just not worked out? Or is it that you have guys that just are not used to the position they're in? Yeah, it's more of the former, just bad drafting. I mean, you, you look at the Titans, the 2019 season, you know, they make the, they, they make the switch to Tannehill. They get to the AFC title game. They're, they're one half from the Super Bowl. You know, they're, they're playing great at Kansas City. And, you know, Kansas City comes back. But, you know, that draft, they draft Isaiah Wilson in the first round, complete disaster. The next year they draft Caleb Farley in the first round and Dylan Radins in the second round, same thing. And – yeah, and I can go through a lot of other picks at the end of John Robinson's tenure that just have been bad. And in some cases, you know, like Isaiah Wilson, that's an off-the-field thing more than anything. But 
for various reasons, just really bad drafting and bad free agency, and it's just a bad roster at this point. So, um, you know, you, you've got, like I said, I think this first draft for Rand Carthon was pretty good, but they have precious few young, promising players on this roster. You know, you got Roger McCreary, a good young corner, and I think Ty J. Spears, the back they drafted to, I think eventually replace Derrick Henry, is a very promising young player. But, you know, trail him. I mean, and, and along with that, the most disastrous move of all, of course, trading A.J. Brown, you know, when, when he's at the peak of his powers, when you have to give that guy a second deal and instead let him go to the Eagles and chase rings there. I mean, that's the, that's the move that got John Robinson fired. So it's just years of just poor management have turned this roster to decay. And you've got some guys in their prime who are still like Jeffrey Simmons is still very good. You talk about older guys who are still good. I mean, Danico Autry has been a fantastic signing, you know, for the Titans, uh, of course, previously in Indy. But it, it's it's turned into a very bad roster. Our conversation with Joe from The Athletic in Nashville is brought to you, by the way, by AAA right now. You can take advantage of a AAA membership discount. One-year AAA Classic membership and enjoy a whopping 50% off, and it practically pays for itself. You can always go to AAA.com or 844-GO-AAA-GO for a membership. Joe, I have always been a fan of the style of play of Derrick Henry. I just think that he is at times a game-changing or game-carrying back, if you will, his inconsistency, which sounds weird to say this year because he's been really good, but has he slowing down at all, or is that, again, just an indictment of the line in front of him? It's kind of both things. He's you know he's a guy now who he gets some daylight, and he can easily rip off 30, 40 yards, but that used to be 80. You know, like he'd, he'd outrun the safety taking the right angle, you know, or sometimes the corner. And that doesn't happen anymore. You know, he, of course, he had the Jones fracture at Indianapolis a couple of years ago, uh, came back, and has been you know, he's still really good. But he doesn't have that last gear that he had before the fracture. Uh, but most of his struggles this year and the inconsistent production is about the offensive line. And it's, and it's about the whole offense. I mean, there's just so little to scare teams, along with the, the struggles up front. You know, DeAndre Hopkins, again, he's still a very good receiver, but no no one's terrified of him. I mean, A.J. Brown was a big part of Derrick Henry's success, too, because he was a legitimate number one receiver who could also take over a game. Without that, without protection, without protection, without just an effective balanced offense, it, that's really hurt him. I, you know, I, he's going to end up with probably, you know, I don't know 1,200 yards this year, something like that, probably still be in the top five in the in the rushing race. Um and then I think the Titans would be smart to try to re-sign him. I mean, the unfortunate reality for Derrick Henry is he's about to turn 30, and he's probably going to get an offer for what, like a year and $4 million or something, right? I mean, because Derrick Henry's a volume back, and, and I don't see teams out there wanting to build around him. I think he's probably going to transition to, like, goal line back. But he's still very, very good. And it, when he gets any kind of a seam, he can still – really cause problems for a defense. Joe Rexroad covers the Titans for the Athletic. Joe, I don't mean to be too harsh here on him, but with Will Levis, what what has been, if any, the good that you've seen in him? Because when I look at him, again, I, I didn't think that he was going to go in the first round like he kind of hoped that he would. I wasn't sure if he'd be able to be an NFL quarterback, but where I will tip the cap on him that I thought he would struggle 
is the turnovers. And I know he's had, what, two turnovers just in the last five games, but two clean slates in his last two. Where have been, if any, the positives that you've seen from Will Levis in this short five-game sample size? Yeah, I've been really impressed. And like I said, he comes out in his first game and he's got a couple guys wide open and throws some touchdowns. Now, he did throw a a, 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 a touchdown to Nick Westbrook-Akine that was like, whoa, yeah. I mean, how many guys can make that throw? He's got tremendous arm talent. Like I said, I, mean, I think he's got all the intangible. I think all the stuff about Levis and the pre-draft, I think some of that was just typical pre-draft BS. I understand people always put mayo in the coffee, but he's been good in the locker room. I think he's done it the right way. You know, the big, the two questions for me, like you said, the death picks, because he threw too many picks at Kentucky, and last year there are a lot of ugly performances. He also was hurt. He also had a terrible offensive line. He was a lot better the year before. But the, those picks, and then just, just is he going to be consistently accurate enough? Like last week, he had a couple – really key plays where, you know, the Titans aren't sweating out at the end if he just makes these throws that, I don't know if they're quite layups, but they're throws you have to make as a pro quarterback, and he missed them. And he talked about that after the game, like, those are throws, like, I got to figure that out, like, though, I, I have to hit those throws. So, a little bit of the inaccuracy here and there, but yeah, for the most part, he's thrown a couple, like, I guess you'd call them rookie passes, you know, where it's like, yeah, you can't, like, throw across your body like that, and it's some, something you have to learn from. But for the most part, he has taken care of the ball. Overall, yeah, I have been impressed. So he's got an easy, um, you know, just he can he he can deliver, you know, all the throws with ease. Uh, and he's big and athletic. We haven't really seen a ton of that. He's got a he's got a bum ankle right now, and so he, he's sort of limited with the mobility. But anybody who watched him in 2021 at Kentucky, I mean, he's a fast, athletic guy too. So I think there's a fair amount of optimism here about what he could become if he's supported correctly. If Tennessee is, like as the Colts are going down there to take on Tennessee on Sunday, Joe, if Tennessee's going to win this game, it's because it's because they are going to lean on what that they are doing well. Well, they're going to lean on their, their pass rush, which has been by far the biggest disappointment of this season. I mean, we knew the offensive line was questionable and the receiving core and all that. You know, this defensive line was supposed to be elite. This pass rush was supposed to be elite. Now, it looked that way against Carolina. Like I said, I mean, that offensive line was bad. Then they had a couple injuries in the game, and I'm like, my goodness, that's an NFL offensive line right now. But Jeffrey Simmons is a legit player. Danico Autry wrecked the game last week. He's kind of been quiet. Arden Key has been silent a lot of this year. Harold Landry's coming off an ACL. He looked good. He's getting – you can see him getting stronger. The Titans have to dominate this game with their pass rush. And, you know, not let Zach Moss, who they called the next Le'Veon Bell after he trampled them the first time, you know, go off on them again. I mean, their rush defense kind of in tandem with the pass rush. It's just been a massive disappointment this year. Joe, if you get a chance, you should go to a game in Arkansas, by the way, basketball-wise. <laughs> Fabulous place, great arena. I, I highly – it's not a far drive from you, right? right on the other side of Memphis no, I, to get to Arkansas. Yeah, in all seriousness, like that is on my list of I, I've been to most SEC places by now and I haven't been there. So where, where did you go to you school? Reminding me. I actually went to Michigan State, but I've been down here for seven years, so Nashville's a cool town, man. A really cool town. I, I'm curious yeah. about this. Like so if you live in Nashville, you know, everybody goes to Nashville and they go to Broadway, right? And there's 10,000 bachelorette parties taking place and school buses with no, no like, the, the top cut out and girls screaming and doing the whole deal, singing Miley Cyrus. Um, 
you personally, if you live in Nashville, how often do you actually go to Broadway? Is it only when friends from out of town come to visit? 100%. 100%. It's like, okay, let's go see the Bleep Show for 10 minutes. <laughs> and now, you know. So, yes, for anybody coming to town, Printer's Alley is close to Broadway. Really cool places. 12 South, East, Nashville, West End, Germantown. Like, there's so many cool areas, and that is the least cool. <laughs> Period. It, a Bleep Show is a safe way of saying it, Joe. A safe way. And I'll be honest with you. I, <laughs> hey, listen, a month ago, we would have guessed this game Sunday was going to be a Bleep Show, right? Between... The Colts and Titans. But, you know, <laughs> looks like it might be decent. We shall see. But, Joe, I appreciate the time today. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. Appreciate right, it. Joe Rexford from The Athletic down in Nashville. Oh, yeah, my bad off the top asking about Arkansas, but we can ask Aaron about that too, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll wear the L. I, I, I got us uh, in segment. I should have clarified that, so I'll, I'll wear it. Um, okay. You know, the have you been to Nashville? Yes. I love – my favorite thing in Nashville, to be honest with you, is the Hermitage, which was where Andrew – you know, Andrew Jackson was a pretty conflicted president historically. There's a lot of conflict about him. His residence and his property there is, you know, they're pretty candid about it. Uh, you know, just about like the the polarization, some of the controversies around Andrew Jackson, the good and the bad, but just the history that is in, encapsulated within his residence in the Nashville area is pretty fascinating. And then my favorite president of all time, James Polk, who also had his weaknesses for sure in terms of his ideologies, but he did some very effective things as a president. Uh, he is entombed on the Capitol building. It's a great Capitol building in Nashville. And you can go up to the top of the Capitol and kind of run around it. You can see the whole city. There's a lot, usually like people jogging around it. There's a path that goes around it. It's, it's a cool city, man. Nashville is a cool city. If you haven't been, Broadway's a bleep show, but it's a fun bleep show that you have to absolutely partake for sure uh 13 minutes from now we'll talk to a guy that was at arkansas last night but a little college round ball talk next you know whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about cascali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if cascali is right for you the first thing i'm going to ask aaron torres when he comes up how the titans are looking this year that's right Hey, how are things in Nashville? <laughs> That's right. You got a great video of the court storm. Seemed like a great environment. Anytime we see an upset win, when it's Duke involved too, yeah, I, I'm sure he's going to have plenty of stories from that adventure. I will maintain what I have always said oh. about Kentucky. Okay, good. Thought we are going to go into a court storming conversation. I'm not ready for that. Tom Spaulding is a guy that lives here in town who I only knew through social media for the most part. Really good guy. And I would always talk about how I hate Kentucky. So one day he called me. He's a Kentucky native of Kentucky, lives here in Indy. His family's got season tickets. And he goes, hey, I'll take you to a game at UK. I said, okay, I'm in. So we he picked me up. I think it was the first time we'd met. Maybe like met like once or twice, but you know, first time I spent time with him. We just won Saturday, like January, Saturday, I don't know, probably 10 years ago. We road trip down to Rupp Arena. I even had the little face painter paint a little UK on my cheek. Kentucky <laughs> played Auburn. Tony Barbie, my high school schoolmate, was coaching Auburn at the time. And I rooted for Kentucky. And I had a really good time. I mean, it was great. Tom and I had a fun time. He had fun with the fact. And everybody around me, he told him, like, hey, Jake grew up an Indiana fan. He hates Kentucky. And they all gave me good-natured good, good -natured ribbing. 
It's really a fun time, and it was a great environment, and it was cool to watch a game in Rupp Arena, no question about it. But Rupp Arena is like basically a big, civic, kind of cavernous arena. And I know that Kentucky fans love to papoo any school that does a court rush because their whole thing is we don't court rush at Kentucky because we expect to win. So it's never a big deal when we win at home. Okay, that's fair. Um, But the way Rupp Arena is set up and just the design of it and the architecture of it, if you will, it's not conducive to really a court rush anyway where the student the students are like a, a rumor away from the game anyway and so while I know that Kentucky fans love to constantly bag on and harp on and pick on people that do a court rush by saying that they're better than that deep down every Kentucky fan that's listening knows and they can tell me until I'm, I'm wrong until they're blue in the face that's cool they're already blue in the face they're Kentucky fans deep down they know in their heart of hearts, I would love to do that. I am so jealous. That looks like yeah. so much fun. Like, I can't believe that college kids are acting like college kids and they're running out on the floor to like high five a guy that they've seen on campus twice in their life and they're able to celebrate because this is why they went to the t- – I mean, a lot of kids that go to Kentucky go there because of the basketball program. A lot of kids that go to Indiana go there because of the basketball program or Purdue or wherever, right? And – I know that Kentucky Kentucky has a deep, deep, deep rooted envy of places that court rush that they mask as a holier than thou nature, but in reality it's because they play in a huge cavernous civic arena that just isn't conducive for it. So now they've dug their heels in too deep into the sand where they, they have they can't do it because they have always pledged that they never will. I've been to Rupp once was in the supporter section for UCLA back in 2016. We had some family friends that we went with. I rooted for UCLA. I wore a UCLA jersey. And number 11 UCLA upset number one Kentucky at Rupp Arena. As an IU fan, I have that hatred for Kentucky too. It was a wonderful feeling. I'll never go back. That, that, that's the really? pinnacle. To see them beat when they were number one. That's It'll fair. Never, never get better than that. That's it's fair. Awesome. I mean... You know, Kentucky's a great program. There's no question about it. And it's it's one of the – it might be the biggest blue blood. I, I think it probably is the biggest blue blood. Definitely right up there at minimum, the, for sure. The only, the only demerit – and this has nothing – I mean, it's not a demerit by any stretch. The only thing that I think a lot of people from Indiana is one program that would say this would take as a demerit is that so many players that have been great players for Kentucky were there just because they, it was like a mercenary step to the pros and it wasn't like they grew up like diehard Kentucky fans. Sure. And that's true of Indiana now too, but but people still convince themselves that everybody playing for Indiana grew up like with a Bob Knight poster on their wall. Uh, that's long gone. Right. I mean, those days are long, long gone. Yeah, right? across all of college athletics, very rarely is that the case. Totally. You'll have every now and again that one ESPN special of, oh, I've been a fan of my whole life for the most part. Yeah, Yeah, it's... It's basically, you know, what did, um, who did I just see one of the college coaches saying that now a transfer portal quarterback is going to cost you a million to two million? It was Rule, Matt Rule. Yeah. Yeah, Matt Rule. It's going to cost you a million to two million in the NIL. Well, you know what? Basketball, uh, not entirely different. But Aaron Torres is next and he's going to talk about college basketball with us. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Imagine, so people want to know why Brandon Soresby, who I think played okay for Indiana this year, right? Had to wait until it was kind of his turn, didn't win the starting job out of the box, and then becomes the starter for Indiana. Yes, they struggled, but I don't know that you wouldn't. I mean, he he at times showed some competency as a quarterback. He looked serviceable to solid given everything that he went through, which is about all you could ask for. He looked like a guy that would start easily start at, and I don't know, maybe maybe it was the things around him held him back. Maybe that's true. And maybe he goes somewhere and becomes a really nice player. But for people that are looking at it and are like, why in the world would Brandon Soresby announce that he's transferring from Indiana? And then Matt Rule comes out and goes, you know, to get a quarterback um, <laughs> in the transfer portal cost you a million to two million. <laughs> okay, so then Brandon Soresby, it costs 500 grand. Well, pfft, sign me up, right? Yeah. I transfer every year. Why not? Now, I'd like to think that, look, I'm not naive. The money matters. I'm not, I'm not, I am an optimist and I am a glass half full kind of guy, but I'm not naive to what has become of college sports with NIL. And I don't really have a problem with it because now everybody's on a, I mean, not fully level playing field, but like you understand what's at stake, what the rules are now. That said, I would still like to think that for most players, it is more so a instant gratification of it's not working out here. I want to go somewhere else where I am going to be treated better or I'm going to have better opportunities versus just the, oh, I'm getting money to go. Like, I think that still matters, but I would like to think it still matters situationally for your opportunity to go somewhere that's going to put you on a better platform. Yeah, I mean, you know, the... And I don't know at this point, when when are we done with, like, the COVID transfer? So the COVID year of eligibility. I think next season because i mean it is so now a guy essentially gets what six years six Co- years to complete four correct and you are we done with the no penalty for transferring yeah that's gone right uh no you have one year where you can transfer and play immediately but if you transfer a second time you have to sit out a year okay but you get the extra covid year right well if you if you were in that span right correct. that's done right after- right right you would have had to have been in college during COVID, I believe. Now, I've always wondered this. I've said this before on the air, and I I, I get for the most part, I, I'm sure how this works, right? But if you play, if I'm the, excuse me, I'm the starting point guard for Indiana. Okay. Congratulations. I'll take Indiana out of it because we don't want to, like, people around here to, you know, so I'm just going to pick a, a random school. Uh, West Virginia. I'm the starting point guard for West Virginia. I play three years. I average 16 points, eight assists, and two uh, rebounds per game. I'm a nice, solid player. I'm a third-team all. What league are they in now? Big 12 performer, right? Or yep. is, is West Virginia SEC? I think I think it's Big 12. 12 it's still. Big 12 because I saw yeah. him play Kansas last year. Yes. So I have a year of eligibility left. I'm going to transfer to Stanford. Palo Alto's I also nice. It's beautiful. Um yeah, I always thought Tiger Woods was pretty cool. My favorite bird was my, my favorite baseball team is the Cardinals, and they're, they're the Cardinal. I'm all in on Stanford. Let's go. Okay. So I go to Stanford. Yep. I take classes at Stanford. 
the most elite academic institution in America. And yes, I believe Stanford is the most elite academic institution in America. It's definitely up there. So do I graduate from Stanford? Or does Stanford say, well, I mean, it's great that you're playing basketball for us, but you've got to have 80% of your registered classes be from Stanford. What? Or does Stanford just say, no, we'll accept your, your, your credits from West Virginia because you're an athlete? Okay, well, now you're taking me down a path that I don't understand a ton, which is I believe the credit transfer system is very fickle and like it, it depends on the school how willing they are to accept credits. So if Stanford is, because of their academic standards, less likely to take credits, then I would hope it's no. I would hope they're I not think, making an exception. I think a university by rule... And I don't think there's like I don't know if there's like some universal rule with this, but I would think that if you have a degree from a university, that means that a certain percentage of your credits were accumulated by that university from that university. <coughs> I would I mean, otherwise, wouldn't everybody transfer to Stanford for their senior year or Harvard? You still get accepted, right? What's that? As, as a as a non athlete. Are you talking about an athlete? I'm talking about an athlete. Sorry, if okay. you're an athlete, thought, okay. if you're an athlete with a year of eligibility left, sure. why would you not, in your final year of eligibility, transfer to an elite academic institution to secure a degree from said institution as opposed to a state university where you were before? Are these schools, and I don't know the answer to this, my assumption would be no, but are these schools making a transferable credit exception for players that are coming in for their final year and then awarding them a degree from that university. My assumption would be no. Otherwise, everybody, wouldn't Harvard's transfer portal be absolutely packed? Yeah, I played four years at Abilene Christian and then I transferred to Harvard and now I've got a Harvard degree. There's no way that, you know what I mean? I would think that you would have to stay and do like 80% of your credits at Harvard, but I, I don't know. Because they are athletes, do they make exception to the rule of a normal student? I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I'm asking rhetorically to an extent. But joining us now on the program, and I'm sure thrilled to be joining that conversation, uh, he is a college football, college athletics, really, writer uh, and coverer for, amongst other things, his own podcast and Fox Sports Radio. You can find him on Twitter at Aaron or Torres, T-O-R-R-E-S. And last night, Aaron, you, in fact, were at Bud Walton for Arkansas Duke, correct? I was. Can I actually hop in to that previous conversation? Because I actually, maybe I'm a nerd, but I find that conversation very interesting. Can I, I do, share some th- stuff? Aaron, stuff? listen, anybody that finds anything I say as interesting is not a nerd, <laughs> but actually a, a total badass. So, yes, have at Well. Well, no. Hey, hey, well, first of all, I, I I guess I appreciate the compliment. Am I? It, was that a compliment towards me or a compliment towards you? I'm not really sure. But most things um, are compliment about me. But yes, go ahead. <laughs> no. So what I would say is it's really interesting. And and if you guys remember in the summer, um, Caleb Love, who's now there, North Carolina, et cetera, Michigan, and basically didn't get admitted to school. And so I bring it up because. Uh, I kind of called around and I asked people, I was like, is that normal for, um, you know, for a school to just not admit somebody? And what I kind of found out was very interesting is that every school is a little bit different. Now, I think if you're, uh, you know, a thousand yard receiver and you want to go to Alabama, Alabama is going to find a way to get you in. But it was interesting because, like, I talked to one school that was basically like, hey, we have some of the most competitive graduate programs in the country. And it's hard for us to get graduate students in. Like, we can get undergrads in, but the grad transfers are harder. And especially, you know, three, four years ago, 
when only, you know, only grad transfers were immediately eligible, it really put them in a bind where they felt like they were falling behind the eight ball. On the opposite side, uh, you know, I talked to another school that was like, listen, um, our undergrad degree, our, our admissions process really values that. And so because of it, uh, exactly what you guys just said is basically if you're not going to do essentially basically like once you've started your junior year academically, that school wasn't going to let you in um, and, and let you kind of, quote unquote, get a degree from their university. And I'm not talking, by the way, I'm not talking about, you know, Harvard or Northwestern or Stanford. here. I'm talking about good academic institutions, but not, you know, I don't think what you would consider to be like the cream of the crop. So. Why I find it interesting is every school values everything a little bit different. Now, like I said, um, I don't, uh, again, if you're, at, if you're a great football player that wants to go to Alabama, wants to go to Georgia, that's probably a little bit different than a lot of other places. But like I said, it really is actually kind of a more interesting conversation than people would think. I don't know how the conversation initially began, but like I said, I think it's a little bit more interesting well, than I think the average person might think. Aaron, here's to me what's fascinating, and this is what we were discussing. Let's say hypothetically that you are a college basketball player for, and I'm just going to say it generically, okay? Sure. Um, you know, state U, right? Just a, a nice, solid state university. You're a good, solid point guard, and you are a, a third-team all-conference player. And in your last year of eligibility, you decide that you're going to transfer to Stanford. Now, Stanford takes you, and you're playing as a grad transfer to Stanford, or not a grad transfer, but a transfer to Stanford, where theoretically, you're finishing your last year of school. Even if Stanford says to you, look, you're coming in here with 90 credit hours, but we're only accepting 10 of them, and to graduate from Stanford University, you need 108 additional credit hours, the reality is, as soon as you finish playing your last year of Stanford and you go out into the workforce, you might not even have a degree from there, but every place you're walking into in San Francisco, San Jose, and Monterey are like, oh, that's Jake Query, the guy from Stanford. And like theoretically, they think you're a Stanford guy. Advantage you, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess, first of all, the only thing that I would really say to that and to the reality that I've never had a job outside of the media, I've never really hired anybody other than people that I've kind of known personally I would think if you don't have a degree um, in most places, like that does matter, right? Like you can't just walk into JP Morgan. And even if the, even if there's a Stanford alum running the place, if you don't have the piece of paper that you, you probably don't get that job. But I will say, I do think that um, the point that you bring up is a very important one that I think is kind of being lost in the transfer portal era. It's something that I know my buddy, Doug Gottlieb has brought up quite a bit on, on Fox Sports Radio is, you know, sort of the advantage of going to these schools is the network that comes with it, um, you know, once you finish playing. And, and there is a finite number of players in all of these major sports that are going to make enough money where they are never going to have to work uh, any sort of job again. And, you know, I bring it up because uh, I, I do think that's an important thing in this transfer portal era that's kind of been lost on the play. Frankly, not only lost on the players, but it's been lost on the discourse in the conversation. Is you know you go on social media and it's just well, I mean, Johnny Smith should be able to transfer without having to sit out and blah 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 blah. And it's like you have a bunch of idiots that don't really understand the consequences of talking about it. And so just as a quick example, because I know I'm going long, but like I was thinking about this with Hunter Dickinson this past year. Like Hunter Dickinson. Uh, 
it's it's do whatever you want. I don't really care. It doesn't really matter to me one way or the other. But you know, you graduate from Michigan as a multiple time All American. You know, you go to the Elite Eight, you win a Big Ten championship. Even if the last year or two isn't good, you know, you you still are. You're a Michigan man, and you know, we've obviously learned the last couple months what being a Michigan man means and how much those folks stick by each other. But now he goes to Kansas, and he's basically burned every bridge in Ann Arbor. Uh, you know, I, I don't think unless he, like, leads Kansas to a national championship that he's going to be revered in Lawrence as just one of the guys that we all think of 50 years from now when we think of Kansas basketball. And so I think this is one of the real-world consequences of the portal era that not a lot of people talk about. So, again, you know, I, I, I know I went long there, but I think it's, it's one of those interesting college sports conversations that not a lot of people are having that probably should be if they're going to talk about, you know, NIL, portal, all that kind of stuff. Aaron Torres, Fox Sport Radio, is our guest. Aaron, last thing before we let you get out of here, college football playoff rankings, do we get a chaos scenario? What, what do we get this weekend? Any surprises? I think we might have lost Aaron. Aaron, you still got us? That appears to be the biggest surprise of all, right? Yes. You shocked him right out of his I did. phone. I did. <laughs> it's a good point about Hunter Dickinson. That's a really good point, though, because you know here's a guy that has a chance to get a degree from Michigan – and goes to Kansas, and he's right. I mean, unless they win the whole thing, is he going to be a Kansas legend? That's a really good point. Now, in terms of – we have Aaron. We'll try him one more time here. Aaron, uh, Jimmy was just asking, college football playoff now, heading into the last weekend, barring chaos, do we have a good idea who the four are going to be? And I guess my question would be, is there any chance Pac-12 or Big Ten, either one, can get two teams in? Well, yeah, and I think, you know, that's the funny part as an outside observer. You know, I went to UConn, so, you know, uh, I hate to say it, but much like Indiana fans, much like Purdue fans, you know, we can all just kind of sit on the outside looking in. Um, You know, I I think there's a possibility just based on how the games go that, yes, I think you could get two two teams from the Pac-12, two teams from the Big Ten. I think two teams potentially from the SEC if Alabama were to beat Georgia – But it all starts with basically the premise that everyone has talked about. I don't think it's a unique uh, take or perspective on my part. I think the playoff four is largely going to be determined by does Texas win the Big 12 and does Florida State win the the ACC? Because, listen, Florida State, I feel bad. I picked them to make the playoff in the preseason. But if you're 12-1 and and you're not the ACC champion, I don't think you have much of a resume without Jordan Travis. Now, if you're a 13-0 ACC champ, I absolutely think you do. So when you start getting into the two teams from the Big Ten with an Ohio State sneaking back in, maybe a Washington, as you guys alluded to, if they were to lose to Oregon, even Georgia, I do think it stems from those two games specifically. Will there be a ACC representative? Will there be a Big 12 representative? Obviously, it goes without saying if, if Texas loses as a two-loss team, they wouldn't be in, just like I don't think Florida State would be in if they lose either. Aaron, it appears as though Indiana may be narrowing in on a head football coach, and they may be pulling him out of Virginia and talking about James Madison. If that's the case, and Indiana is close to a deal with Kurt Signetti, tell me what kind of guy they're getting. Yeah, you know, listen, I've been so impressed with them, just that transition from the FCS to the FBS, because what stands out to me is the things that, like, the things that helped James Madison win at the FCS level to the FBS level stayed the same. Good defense, turnover margin, discipline, 
all the things that I think any Indiana fan, you know, would be looking at in their next head coach. And so if he is the guy, I think it's a heck of a hire just because, um, you know, the the winning formula is clearly there. And I hate to be cliche, but I think an Indiana fan understands it. Um, it can't just be about, you know, this is the blueprint in recruiting because obviously, you know, you're going up against an Ohio State, a Michigan, and certainly a USC, a, a Oregon, who probably from a recruiting perspective have some advantages that Indiana don't. So what I would want to see if I was an Indiana fan bluntly is a guy that has a blueprint to win, a blueprint to build a program. Um, and, and frankly, again, those little things that carry the way uh, over the course of a season and in close games. And so if he is the guy that is a heck of a hire, we've all kind of at least loosely followed the James Madison story this year, and that would be a heck of a snag as Indiana obviously heads into the new era of the Big Ten next year and starting over, and I think would be starting over in a really good place. At Aaron Torres Pod, that's T-O-R-R-E-S, is where you can hear the podcast, Fox Sports Radio, of course, as always, and at Aaron underscore Taurus on X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it. Aaron, appreciate the time and the insights. No problem, guys. Apologize for a little technical difficulties. Thank you. Have a great day, guys. No worries, uh, Aaron. And by the way, while we were talking to Aaron, Eddie, we do, in fact, have breaking news. couple different sources on this. Zach Osterman has it now, as does Pete Thamel of ESPN. Indiana is finalizing a deal to make James Madison coach Kurt Signetti the school's next head coach. He led JMU to an 11-1 season in 2023. Does this mean we can't snap anymore? Well, snaps have been unfortunately Eddie, gone the snaps went away while you were on vacation. I know. Right? I hope you had a couple snaps on the way out the door on vacation. Well, just. <laughs> hopefully not some of those honey snaps, because according to the girlfriend, Eddie's got some extra insulation, right? <laughs> you got to make sure that the snaps were of the low-cal variety. Um, look, this is a guy, James Madison is a program that, and I like, let me tell you who I I think of in this scenario, okay? This year I was watching Clemson and Florida State, okay? And, you know, I've watched plenty of Clemson-Florida State games over the years. Jake, that's great. We're talking about Indiana football. Why are you referencing Clemson and Florida State? Fair question. But Florida State's a program, you know, they had Jim, they had obviously a legendary coach and Bobby Bowden, and then they went through a number of different coaches trying to find something that would finally fit. And they went through Jimbo Fisher. They, they, they did that. Then they go out and they get Mike Norvell. And, you're, and, and I thought Florida State this year, who's in the running for the college football playoff, I was really impressed with the way Florida State played and just like the discipline they had. It just looked like a program that had their ish together. And I looked up Mike Norvell, and the thing that impressed me about Florida State going out and getting him is this is a guy that didn't come through. It wasn't like he was right there on staff. He came through the proper ranks, if you will, and had success at each step of the way. You know, there's nothing that blows you away about somebody that's a head coach at Memphis. But you look back at the coaching that he he did, Central Arkansas and then Tulsa and Pittsburgh in different variations, Arizona State. And then he goes to Memphis, he has success, he gets the opportunity at Florida State, he's a guy that came from Louisiana. In other words, they did their due diligence in just kind of going outside the box. And I think that when you look at this hire for Indiana, assuming, and Dave Repson of the Big Ten Network is going to join us shortly, uh, and we will be able to to kind of get maybe some more insight from him about this and about where Indiana slots in terms of this. But if you look at Signetti's coaching record, 
you know, James Madison has been at the, and I always forget if it's FCS or FBS, but at the, the underling level, FCS is the one below, right? Correct. And, you know, they've been a dominant program for the last three or four years under his tutelage. But he did the same thing at Elon. He had success at Indiana, Pennsylvania. He's 119 and 35. 119 and 35. I don't care who you're coaching against. You're winning. Uh, you're 119 and 35, <laughs> right? Yep. And he's still somewhat relatively familiar with the region itself because he's a native of Pennsylvania, grew up in Pittsburgh, coached at Pitt, and he's basically been in the Virginia Carolinas area. So it's within the footprint of the Big Ten. So he knows the area. And I get that recruiting is different across college sports now. And I understand that Indiana is not Alabama. It is not. I mean, I... I don't know, maybe they're closer, but they're not. They're not NC State, right? They're not in that same realm. But you look at players he's worked with or players he's helped recruit over his time as an assistant or as a quarterback's coach or a tight end coach, Phillip Rivers, Russell Wilson, Mark Ingram, Donta Hightower. Like, he has experience working with top-tier talent. He also has experience, like you mentioned, working his way up the coaching ranks the right way and has done a tremendous job at James Madison. Am I saying that, hey, yeah, Phillip Rivers is going to walk Indiana now that Signetti's the head coach? No, but I am saying that he has experience with molding and developing young quarterbacks and also has done well on the recruiting trail. And when you add in NIL and knowing that he has that background with what IU's already committed in terms of $3 million, it appears from Zach Osterman reported that yesterday, he's going to have tools to work with. So there's a lot of intriguing aspects about what he can potentially build and the hire itself because of his background like you outlined. Now, would he be the first guy to coach Indiana University at two different places? Yes, I feel confident in that, yes. <laughs> I mean, we would think, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Unless, I guess if you coach somewhere like at IU, South Bend, and you end up at IU, does that does that count, right? It's in the but same realm. Indiana, Pennsylvania, and Indiana University. But it does look like this is, in fact, and this, was, this is what happens, and, and I'll give – Zach Osterman, a lot of credit here. You know, he, he has been very adamant from the get-go of don't read too much into coaching searches because of the fact that oftentimes it's an 11th hour late rising candidate that kind of comes out of nowhere. And it it's a little bit surprising, to be honest with you, that Indiana is the first one to reach out and grab him. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, we, let's be clear, we are still in the like names are going to start flying off the shelves over the next week, right? Because the deadline that we mentioned of the transfer portal opening on December 4th, which is Monday, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, so you only have a couple of days left before you're really behind the eight ball. And Zach Osterman stressed that to us yesterday about how the spring portal, yeah, that exists, but it's not the same, right? It's a second wave of student that is not as top tier, as readily available as you're looking at in this first transfer window. The fact they're able to do it and it does not feel like it was a rush decision, Jake, despite the fact that it is a quick timeline, I think gives credit to Indiana for it. Dave Revson is with the Big Ten Network. He'll have a little bit of insight, I'm sure, as to this hire, what it means for Indiana and Iowa and Michigan coming to Indianapolis. Our conversation with the anchor for the Big Ten Network next. It has turned whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 
Welcome to a big news day here in Central Indiana on a Thursday. How are you? My name is Jake Query. Jimmy Cook, the other voice you hear on this program. Eddie Garrison is the company's CEO running the board for us. And joining us now on the hotline, he, of course, his voice immediately recognizable from his coverage and anchoring of the Big Ten Network. And a friend over the course of the years, especially this time of year where the Big Ten football championship comes to Indianapolis, Iowa, and Michigan on their way here. Dave Rebson joins us. Dave, how are you? I'm great. What's up, Jake? Jimmy, good to talk to you guys. Uh, likewise, it's you know I'm sure you saw the news that it appears as though, and I don't know necessarily that ink is to paper just yet, but in the last half hour or so, Dave, uh, several places, including our friend Zach Osterman at the Indianapolis Star, are now saying that James Madison's Kurt Signetti is in line to become the next head football coach at Indiana. Let's assume that that comes to fruition and that is a done deal or becomes a done deal. Just your overall thoughts first off on that. Yeah, I started to kind of really look into him yesterday when it it started to circulate that, you know, maybe he was one of the leaders for this job. And, man, I mean, it just seems like a a really good fit to me. Um, A guy who everywhere he has been, he's won – and he's turned everywhere around, right? I mean, you know, none of these places were were in great shape uh, when he when he got there. Uh, I, I guess James Madison was good, not great, but but he won seven more games the, the first year than they had the previous year. But Elon, and then you know, he was at Indiana University of Pennsylvania, coincidentally, and and man, both of them were not good before he arrived, and he very quickly became a winner. So I guess you know, to me, that's what IU needs. Uh, so I think that's that part of it is is makes a lot of sense. And uh, and then you look at the connections through the years. I mean, being recruiting coordinator for Nick Saban. I mean, they know a little bit about about recruiting uh, in the, with uh, with the Crimson Tide. So I, I think there's just a lot to like about this. It, it makes a lot of sense. And um, I'd be fired up if I were a Hoosier fan for sure. You know, the thing, Dave, let me ask you this, and maybe we don't know this because we don't know exactly what roster he's going to inherit, right? I mean, probably his first job is going to be recruiting the locker room itself. Um, And let's just speak hypothetically, Dave Rebson, as if this is going to be the case and Signetti's going to be the coach. Um, Indiana, to me, didn't seem totally void of talent. I think Tom Allen is a really decent human being, Dave, but as I've said, it just seemed like from a coaching standpoint, they weren't fundamentally sound towards the end of games in particular. I don't, I'm not sitting here saying Indiana has the depth of a Michigan or an Ohio State, obviously, but I think they have some players. Uh, am I overselling the talent level that Indiana has that he theoretically could inherit? Well, the portal's going to be a huge deal, obviously. I mean, they're going to have to figure out how to keep some of these guys whose names have gone into the portal, Donovan McCauley and Brendan Soresby on the offensive side being the most obvious ones, but got some, some good players on both sides of the ball that over these last few days have said they're moving on. So that's a, that's a big part of it. I mean, Donovan McCauley is, yeah, like he's a really talented guy. I mean, he's an NFL wide receiver. Brendan Soresby, I thought by the end of the year, was kind of on average playing, you know, maybe as the third or fifth, fourth best quarterback in the Big Ten. I mean, I, you know, I like his skill set a lot. So I think there are a lot of things to kind of like about this IU roster. You know, you bring it up, Jake, depth's always going to be an issue with them. And, and it, but it, it felt like these last couple of years, 
you know, Tom was just kind of patching holes. And I, I thought he did a great job with some of the guys he brought in. In the portal, Andre Carter would be the obvious one this year where, you know, we saw him at camp and we're just like, wow. I mean, you know, he's really good and he's going to help them. And they had a very good year. But I do think, you know, there's going to have to be that balancing act of, of recruiting the portal hard, but also developing and retaining players. And when you talk to coaches today, like the big thing is retention. It was interesting. We had David Braun on when he got Big Ten Coach of the Year the other day, and, and he said something. I hadn't heard it put exactly this way. But he said you have to have a situation, obviously in his case at Northwestern, but I think this holds for Indiana as well, where the players you bring in end up playing their best football at your school. And, you know, their best football in college at your school. And, and so that, to me, is is the big challenge for places like Indiana and Northwestern and places that aren't going to get ready-made players. So, yeah, and I did Tom Allen fall short in that? It kind of felt like he did there toward the end. Um, you know, I think he just never totally got the offense where he wanted it to be after Kalen DeBoer left. I think that was a big part of it. He just lost some really good coordinators, and it just felt like, he, he never totally replaced them to his satisfaction. And, and that's, you know, that's what this is about. It's about having a really good staff. That's it's a huge part of the equation. And, and just for whatever reason, I don't think he was able to, to get it back to where they had been when, you know, there was a point there where he felt like he had really good coordinators on both sides of the ball. Big Ten Network's Dave Revson, nice enough to take some time with us here on Query and Company. Kurt Signetti, Potentially the new head coach being reported by multiple sources of Indiana football, but as Jake mentioned, not pen to paper just yet. Dave, you mentioned where he's been in the past, and when you look at those programs, IU Pennsylvania, Elon James Madison, I don't want to call them like broken programs at the time, but they did not have the level of success previously up until he arrives. When you look at Indiana, and I know it's a whole different animal, because it's the Big Ten, it's a bigger conference. He's not a stranger to big conferences, but certainly the biggest job he's had as a head coach. I don't want to put too much on him before, A, the ink is dry, or B, he gets there, but where are realistic expectations over, let's say, a three-year window for what IU football wants to be in this next chapter with Kurt Signetti? Well, I'll just say this, Jimmy, and I don't want to put anyone in a, in a bad spot here or build up expectations But rebuilds are different than they used to be. I mean, the portal does give you the opportunity, if you handle it the right way, to compete at a higher level right away. Now, you've got to hit some home runs with the guys you get. I mean, you know, there are Kenneth Walker the thirds out there, and you look at the impact he made at Michigan State, like, right away. And and so I'm not necessarily saying that that can happen at IU, I'm just saying it's not out of the question that that kind of thing can happen. I don't think you have to look at it the way that we did even five, seven years ago, where you just say, well, you know, you're going to build, you have to recruit, and you have to bring your guys in there. Can you turn it around right away? I mean, I, you know, I think it's hard to turn it around right away because there's going to be the natural attrition of, of players leaving. I mean, the portal works in both directions. But I just don't think it's unreasonable to think that in a, a couple of years – you could be a team that's competing somewhere toward the middle. I mean, I feel like that has to be the goal for Indiana. The the goal isn't, I mean, it'd be great if you have a season like you did in 2020 where lo and behold, there you are and you're, you know, in the top 15 nationally and, and have a really good team. And, and I think the goal is to have that happen occasionally. Yeah. I'd be Rutgers, I think right? Yeah. What's that? I mean, Dave, I've 
I've always said with Indiana, you know, be Rutgers, be be Minnesota, you know, a team that, that is competitive and then every couple of years has a senior-laden team that makes a nice run and goes to a bowl game. I think Indiana is happy with that, right? Yes. Yeah, I think Minnesota is a great comparison. You look at what P.J. Fleck has done there. They didn't have a great year this year, a little disappointing, five and seven. Indiana would take that as a disappointing year, right? Like Correct. Five Correct. and seven would be a great disappointing year. They'd love to be disappointed by five and seven. So, yeah, I think that's kind of a – that's a reasonable comparison of, of where IU can be. I, I do think Minnesota has a few advantages over Indiana, but I don't think like a myriad of advantages. I don't know much about most, most of the programs where Kurt Signetti's been, but I'm assuming that Elon has unlimited budget, right? They think outside the box, polarizing, <laughs> unlimited funds. That We know that much about that program, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, yeah I, don't, I don't know a ton about it either. But right, I mean, that's the – Look, I, I will say James Madison historically has been a really competitive program at the FCS level. And, and so, you know, I, uh, I, I don't want to understate like kind of, you know, JMU is, is not as difficult a job on its level as Indiana probably is on its Correct. level. But, but the fact that right away, you know, they made this transition and right away he's got them as good as they are. I mean, that tells you something. It means he was recruiting above his level. So, yeah, I mean, look, I, I do think this is going to be a, a different animal, but I just I love the fact, again, I love the fact you work with Nick Saban. I just think you look through the years at the coaching tree there, and it just seems like guys learn a lot when they're around Saban. And, and you could go down through the list up to and including the guy who's won the last two national championships and Kirby Smart. I mean, there's just something about being around Saban and the way that he thinks that I think has helped these guys. But again, you know, that uh, there's other power five experience that he's had. He was at NC state. He was at Pitt. So I, I like kind of this mix of experience, but I like the fact that he's been at, you know, places where you did have to maybe think a little bit differently and, and where you weren't the most heavily resourced program around, because I, you know, that is the situation that, that IU finds itself in. You don't have the advantages that, that some of the other schools in the Big Ten have. It's just the reality of of where they fall in the pecking order. But that doesn't mean, again, to your point, you can't be Minnesota, a team that more often than not makes a bowl game. Switching gears with Dave Rebson, who, of course, is anchor host for the Big Ten Network, for the primary reason, Dave, where I'd reached out to you about coming on today, and that is, you know, it's it's a great time this weekend to be around the atmosphere of the Big Ten Championship uh, I strongly encourage folks to find the bar where there's Michigan fans and put on um, Mr. Brightside on the jukebox and watch the crowd go bonkers. It's actually, and I'm being serious. It was fun. I did that last yeah. year. But is there a chance that the Big Ten can still get two in? Because I have this weird feeling that Ohio State could still find their way in. But what would have to happen, or is Ohio State out when we're talking about the college football playoff? No, I think they could get in. I think they'd really have to kind of thread a needle. I think two things would have to happen. Uh, Florida State would have to lose to Louisville, which I think is utterly conceivable. I mean, particularly with the injury at the quarterback spot Correct. for FSU and, and people in Indiana don't need to be told about Jeff Brom as an underdog and, and all that. The other one I think is a little bit tougher. I think Oklahoma State probably has to beat Texas for them to get in. Um, and I think that's a little bit more challenging, actually significantly more challenging. Oklahoma state's been a really weird team this year. They've been up and down. They've, they've lost some strange games. They've obviously won a couple of really good ones as well. 
But those to me, like if those two are out of the way and then everything else kind of holds form, you know, like Georgia wins and so you get Alabama down at, at two losses, Michigan wins, you know, kind of you go through the, the favorites winning everywhere else. And I think it's a wash in Pac-12, whoever wins. I don't think it's going to impact it. Those teams, whichever one wins will be in. But I think like if you're Ohio State looking to get that fourth spot, I think that's kind of the path you need to navigate. See, it's interesting to me if it comes down to, and, and I mean, Dave, let's be honest, this is like barstool fodder till the cows come home, right, of analyzing the teams. But if it comes down between Texas and Ohio State, for example, Texas probably, Texas's loss is to Oklahoma. Ohio State's is at Michigan. Ohio State has the less egregious loss, but I think Texas, because of their win at Alabama, has the far more impressive feather in the cap than does Ohio State. And I guess it just comes down to which the committee looks at more, right? Well, I also think they always kind of defer to, are you a conference champ? And so I think in that scenario, Texas would be a conference champion. And I do think that that gives you a leg up. It's supposed to in the criteria, although as we have learned in the years that we've watched them go through this, the criteria is an ever-evolving set of of rules, and it feels like it changes to suit their convenience on a year-in and year-out basis. But my feeling is, yeah, I mean, you went to Alabama and you won, whereas, again, Ohio State, when they went to Michigan in their toughest game, they didn't win. And then I think kind of being a conference champ is is probably that. To me, that would be the tiebreaker. Again, I, I... Part of it is you have to see how it happens. Like, does Texas blow Oklahoma State out? Are they fortunate to win? I, you know, part of it is is what does the game actually look like? Dave Rebson of Big Ten Network is our guest. Dave, you mentioned teams being in the middle of the conference and that being a, a, a decent expectation goal for, for IU at times as they rebuild. When you look big picture, though, at the conference, and I've been thinking about this all week, First, am I wrong in saying that it's conf- or it's uh, divisionless next year? Is that right? No, it is divisionless. Yeah, okay. divisionless going forward. So, yeah. what does that do for programs like Iowa? Who, like, if we're being realistic, I don't mean to you know poo-poo them, but with this influx of talent and the divisions going away, th- this is likely their last Big Ten championship game appearance for quite some time. What does it do for? schools that are in the middle to like higher end but aren't at the top of the conference when you go Ohio State Michigan and then throw in USC and Oregon like what what happens to those teams I think it's going to be hard Jimmy and we've talked a lot about this I mean the Big Ten West and you can say what you will about the Big Ten West but what the Big Ten West has done is it has given schools I mean you know Iowa at times has been a really good program Historically, and I would not totally rule out the possibility of Iowa playing in a Big Ten championship game. But, like, let's use Northwestern. Northwestern's been in the Big Ten championship game twice. Let's use Purdue making it last year. I think it's going to be really hard for schools like that to make it again. Um, and those are really good moments for their fan base. I don't need to tell you guys, Purdue fans were excited last year to, to go to Indy. Northwestern fans were ecstatic to to go there. It's a shame. Like, Illinois was in the driver's seat for a while last year before it fell apart. Like, I don't know that Illinois is going to have another chance as good as they had last season to, to make it again. I mean, maybe, you know, again, like, Illinois has won the Big Ten before. Northwestern's won the Big Ten before. Purdue's won it. I mean, it's not to say these programs couldn't if everything kind of, you know, you catch lightning in a bottle. But I just think it's hard. I mean, they're, again, you look at Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State, 
and Oregon and USC and Washington and, you know, kind of how some of these programs have been through the years in Wisconsin. Like, I just think it's it might be hard for the, you know, pick your school, Iowa, Purdue, whoever it is of, of the world to, to get back. And, and it's up to you to decide whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, you know, the idea behind it is to maximize your chances of getting as many teams as possible in the college football playoff. Like, that's the notion behind it. As to what's lost, I mean, I think that's in the eye of the beholder. And and some people would look at that and say, man, I love seeing a team like Purdue in the Big Ten championship game. And others might say, no, I want the two best teams and I want the league to put its best foot forward. Dave, one thing I know about you is that you drink a lot of coffee, if I'm not mistaken, like kind of start your day. Uh, yeah. I know from when I, I'm not a coffee drinker, but when I was on vacation recently, I'd go and get Shannon a coffee every morning, and I had to get that little sleeve dealio so that I didn't burn my hand while holding the coffee. Right. So when you come, and, and I don't, I don't expect you to do this in Chicago. I mean, I'm not a fool, but when you come to Indy for the Big Ten Championship, do, instead of a sleeve, do you still use the Quarry and Schultz koozie that you were given like ten <laughs> years ago? I, I, I'm pretty sure I saw you throw it away. You claim you kept no. it. No, no. No, I well the throwing away thing is is just it it rips me apart inside that <laughs> you would think I would do that, uh-huh. but I think you know we have had it now. I mean it's been encased for quite some time, right? In a in a protective, you know it's it's in a it, it's like in a protective box, a plastic box. It sits atop our mantle. And so I would never think well, to bring listen, that. To our anybody. last employer yeah. made sure it became a collector's item, right? So, I mean, it worked out for you, right? I mean, put that bad boy on eBay, Dave, <laughs> right? You'll, you'll be down here, though, right? Yes, coming down later tonight. I'm uh, looking forward to it. Tell me real quick the Big Ten coverage for the Big Ten football championship. Oh, man, we got all kinds of good stuff. We got uh, Big Ten today. In fact, I'm writing down the schedule right now just so I – because I'm, I'm getting so old, Jake, and you yeah. and I are the same – age that I need to have like a list to remind myself where to go right because otherwise I'd just be sitting in my room like you know vegetating and all of a sudden I'd realize that that I was supposed to be on on uh, television so we've got um, noon eastern time tomorrow Big Ten today live from Lucas Oil we've got uh, a big show tomorrow night where we'll do some stuff and then we would strongly encourage fans to come out at, I want to say, 2 o'clock Eastern time. I think it's 2 to 4 Eastern time on Saturday. Go to the Fan Fest, and you can watch the show live, Big Ten Tailgate Live, or in between the, the two basketball games. A great weekend of basketball, including both IU and Purdue, on the Big Ten Network and conference games tomorrow night. So, uh, yeah, but we're, uh, we're all over it. And then, of course, when the game's over, you flip it back on over, and we've got all the post-game reaction from live on the field. Appreciate the time as always, Dave. Travel safe and enjoy Indianapolis, all right? All right, great to talk to you, Jake. Take care, Jimmy. Likewise. Dave Revson of the Big Ten Network. Matt Taylor in 10. If you're just... Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Joining us, where have you been? Kurt Signetti is apparently ready to move to Paradise City. That's not really Bloomington, but we thought that when I was in college. To become the next head football coach of the Indiana Hoosiers. Matt Taylor is the voice of the Indianapolis Colts. They, of course, getting set to go down to Nashville on Sunday. Take on the Titans, and he will join us next to discuss exactly that. 
Do you prefer concrete or aggregate, Jimmy? Big aggregate guy. Good, because yeah. I, I'm more of a concrete guy. Yeah. Because I like concrete evidence of things, and aggregate to me sounds too much like geometry or algebra. I only care, though, honestly, either one of them, if they're experts, which they are at Shelby Materials, which is great. Well, that's the thing. I yeah. mean, obviously, yep. you and I, uh, not either of those two things, so we rely on Shelby Materials Indeed. for exactly yep. that. We also rely on them to facilitate for us to talk to Matt Taylor each and every week, the voice of the Indianapolis Colts getting set for the Titans are the Colts and, as well, Matt Taylor for this Sunday. Matt, I'll begin with this. I liked this, and I wanted you to kind of shed light on how different, if at all, this is from years past. But Shane Steichen yesterday saying that the Colts are now going to start kind of sliding more towards Wednesday being walkthrough days to kind of ease back into the end of the week getting set for teams. I like that because I think it keeps guys as fresh as you can expect them to be this time of year does this seem to be atypical from what you have seen in years past i wouldn't say it's incredibly atypical um you know it it it, it's it happens um but you know i think you're going to see shane like you said yesterday kind of trend uh towards you know wednesday being kind of a more of a mental day than a physical day you know early in the season wednesday is the big heavy install day from the game plan it's kind of the the day in which you go full pads, kind of the, the closest thing to full throttle in practice uh, before a game on Sunday. Um, but you're right. It's kind of an extra day off for the guys and keeps them healthy, keeps them fresh. I mean, you know, you're at week 13 of the season, man. Everybody's really kind of screwed up from a body standpoint. No matter how much you play, you got your little, you know, your, your, your tiny stuff that don't show up on the injury report. Everybody's dealing with that kind of stuff. So to give them an extra, extra day off uh, this late in the season makes a lot of sense to me and also keeps them fresh. And also uh, Wednesday accident guys, kind of a, a major mental day for guys to dive into the playbook, you know, pour over the game plan and really kind of jumpstart it, um, you know, for Thursday's practice. And most guys will tell you anyways, when you play, when you play 60 to 70 snaps in a game on, on Sundays, your body's not right until about Thursday anyways. Um, so let's have you know a good, crisp, efficient practice on Thursday when you start to feel good anyways instead of a kind of sluggish one that you're just trying to get through physically on Wednesday um, knowing that your body's not 100% recovered from you know all those hits and you know, all those big moments you had three or four days before that. Voice the Colts, Matt Taylor is our guest, brought to you by Shelly Materials, the concrete and aggregate experts. Matt, I love a good weird stat. Weird stats are some of my favorite things in sports, and I'd like to get your raw emotion reaction to a weird stat. Are you ready? Let's go. Now clarify this for me. Your first season as the full-time voice <coughs> of the Colts was 2019, correct? Uh, well, I did I did the entire 18 right, season. Right, right. Right, yes, but, right. But, but, yeah. but officially on, on paper, they had the announcement everything in 19, correct? You were Jeff Saturday in 2018, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was Jeff Saturday for a full 17 weeks, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's an important distinction there, and you kept the job, I'd argue, is also an important distinction. I bring that up because are you aware that on Sunday, the Colts are going for their first four-game winning streak since you were officially named in full-time capacity voice of the Colts? I did know that. I did know that. Yep. They, I think 2018, when they won nine of 10 yep. down the stretch, you know, they started so poorly that year one, we started out one and five and then, you know, figured some things out and, and made the playoffs and won a playoff game that year in 18. But yeah, you're right. Since then, 
They haven't won four in a row, and this is their first three-game winning streak, in fact, since December of 2021. And even more weird, I suppose, is the fact that you know the Colts are four and one uh, on the road this year. They're two and four at home, which is bizarre. And if they win on Sunday, they'll be five and one, obviously, on the road. It'll be their best start to a season on the road since 2009. So I took your weird stat and I made it even weirder. <laughs> Thank you for that. Matt, I'll be Debbie Downer here. So or more just Ricky Realist, I guess. Nice. <laughs> when you look at the three game streak, are there area would you say it's more that there are areas that the Colts have shored up and you've really been impressed by what they've done, or is part of that realistically the schedule of those three games? And kudos to them for doing what they had to do. I mean, don't get me wrong. But have right. they really like have they really narrowed in a little bit or were they also just they didn't self inflict when they had weaker opponents on the field? No, I mean, listen, you're right. I mean, listen, the the Panthers and the Patriots and Tampa Bay, I mean, I think Tampa Bay's better than the previous two, but, you know, they still came into that game under 500, and, um, you know, they play in a bad division. So, no, you're right. You, 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 you never apologize for winning in the NFL, but you always have to understand that in a win, you can get better, and you can still, you know, create, you know, advantages and, and try to establish an edge um, the week about you, um, or I should say about yourself, the week after getting a victory. And, yeah, I mean, the, the Panthers and the Patriots, you know, they're not going to be confused with the best teams in the NFL, but those are two road wins, and there's something to be said for, you know, taking care of business on the road. One of those games was in Germany, right? So you had a lot of logistics and some adversity, you know, getting that win. So, no, I mean, there is, there is still concern. I mean, personally for me in, in the next six games, I still on offense. I want to see the tight ends getting more involved than the degree that they're involved right now. I mean, you know, Kylan Granson has only one catch in the last three games. Drew Ogletree has been banged up. He's been in and out of lineup. He's missed the last two. Um, you know, Will Mallory's still a rookie. You know, he's targeted a lot when he's out there, but you know, you're not seeing explosive plays from the tight ends. Really, right now in the passing game, it is you know, it's Michael Pittman Jr. I mean, it's crazy that. I mean, Pittman's averaging ten over ten targets uh, in the last five games. So it's really Pittman, and it's it's Downs. Uh, you know, in terms of where Gardner Minshew's going with the football, obviously the the running game is healthy right now between um, Taylor and Moss. Although obviously, you know, you're going to see that uh, be turned over to Zach Moss here in the interim. Um, and then defensively, you know, it, they're winning games, but when you have the 32nd rushing offense rush for 125 on you uh, at your place, you, you got to get that figured out. And they know it. You know, Gus Bradley talked about that this week. I mean, the Colts have allowed, without Grover Stewart, and, and this is going to be the, the sixth and final game of his suspension coming up on Sunday, so it's kind of bad timing, right? When you when you face Derrick Henry, you want to have Grover Stewart, which the Colts did back in week five, and they did a good job on him in that game. He only had 43 yards rushing. But the point is, in the five games without Grover Stewart, Jake, they're giving up on average 148 rushing yards a game. And they've been over 125 yards allowed in five straight games. And the last time they did that as a franchise, I think you were covering the Colts back then. That was the 2006 team that went on to win the Super Bowl. But that was a huge you know, chink in their armor, and they got that figured out heading into the playoffs that year. So, I mean, historically, it hasn't been done 
um, too often, and the Colts are kind of flirting with a dubious stat right there. So they they've got to get those things figured out. They're they're winning in spite of those things, but you know this is a huge game for the Colts because it's, it's a division game. But more importantly, right now in terms of where they're at in the playoff uh, pecking order, it's an AFC game, and they have to continue to you know, win those types of games in the conference to help their tiebreaker status. Matt, I, I recall saying a couple of weeks ago, and I want your, your thought on this, when Grover Stewart got his suspension you know, in a contract year, I remember thinking, man, that's really poor timing for this guy who's been a good player and a good citizen. I, you know, I mean, I think his teammate, good teammate. But in a weird way, it, it probably has kind of – him not being there, even though that that's his own fault – and it wasn't yeah. by strategy, might have actually helped his marketability, right? Because I think we've seen what a good player he's been for them and what a valued piece he's been, to your point. It, no, you're exactly right. And it's funny. I mean, early on in the season, you know, I do a lot of these interviews and I talk to a lot of, you know, I do a lot of shows and, you know, people talk to me about what they think of the Colts and, you know, broadcasters or analysts will come up to me. And I, I swear, for the first five weeks or so, everybody just kept saying, and your best player on defense that no one talks about is Grover Stewart. And it's like around here, we knew how invaluable and how important Grover Stewart was to the health of the rushing defense. And it was just interesting and, and kind of fun for me covering the team every week to slowly see uh, other people in other markets um, you know, start to realize just how good this guy was. I mean, heck, even in Germany two weeks ago, I talked to Mike Mayock before the game. He's like, you guys not having Grover Stewart is a huge loss. You know, you're watching him the first, you know, month of the season, he was just dominant, which he was. So um, you're exactly right. I mean, I think maybe Grover Stewart, in a weird way, has kind of helped his, um, you know, free agency stock uh, with his absence, knowing that the Colts have had just such a hard time and a lot of difficulties, you know, staying in the game defensively against the rush without him in the lineup. Now he's got to, as soon as he comes back, he has to back that up. But in a weird way, I do agree with you, Jake, that maybe he has um, helped his his stock with uh, his subtraction from the lineup, if you will. Voice of the Colts' Matt Taylor joins us, brought to you by Shelly Materials, the concrete and aggregate experts. Matt, you look at the last couple of games, the touchdowns haven't necessarily been there in terms of the passing game for Gardner Minshew, but the accuracy and the situational passing has been there. You referenced earlier both the target shares and the receptions for Michael Pittman Jr. I would throw in Josh Downs there as well. And they both got about 13 targets last game. What has led to that uptick in production from the wide receiver room? And is that sustainable for the rest of the season? No, I think so. I mean, I think it's just Gardner Minshew really starting to get comfortable within the offense and, you know, who his best playmakers are. You know, you want to you want to give the ball to the guys that you trust the most. And certainly right now it's it's Pittman and it's Downs. You know, it's Downs in the slot. It's Pittman on the outside and, you know, key situations, you know, red zone, third down. Um, and, and, again, that's why I say I want to see the tight ends get a little bit more involved to help the versatility of this offense. And, you know, to take it a step further, you know, in a game like this on Sunday, and I, I know you didn't ask me about this, but, you know, Tennessee is such a – you know, they're one of those teams right now where they've got a rookie quarterback, and I know they've got Hopkins on the outside. We'll see about Burks and his availability – but right now, still, despite them being four and seven, they're still very much about Derrick Henry. And so they want to win this game similarly to how the Patriots wanted to win a couple weeks ago in Germany. They want to win the game, you know, thirteen to seven or ten to six. And that's why it's it's so important for Gardner Minshew 
to take care of the football, to not give them extra possessions because the possessions that they do have, Tennessee that is, you know, they want to go on eight and nine minute drives and get touchdowns in the red zone. You know, they, they want to shorten the game and, and win nasty, if you will, early December football. And so, you know, Gardner Minshew has to do a good job of, you know, understanding where to go with the football, not put it in harm's way and not make mistakes that help the, 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 the Titans shorten the game and put even more pressure on that Colts defense to slow down the run from Derrick Henry. Matt, if each time you said in the course of a broadcast a player's name, and obviously you are saying their name when they are making a big play, when they are involved in a play, let's just say hypothetically that each time you say a guy's name, you you make five bucks. That guy makes you five bucks, right? <laughs> yeah. If you were looking at your checking account right now, what player would have made you more money so far this year than you ever would have guessed at the beginning of the season? Oh, man. Um, so a, a guy that deceptively made me some dough. Correct. The guy that the guy um, that you never would have guessed at the beginning of the year that you would have been calling his name as frequently as you have. Man. Um, I mean, Samson Abicom's been really, really good, both against the run, just total pressures. You know, so we seem you know seem to say his name a lot in terms of just stopping the run and just being impactful on defense. Um, I mean, I mean, you're always going to say the names. You know, you're you're always going to say Buckner. You're always going to see Franklin on defense. Um, you know, man. Uh, you know, I know I had an answer for him last week as well, but Julian Blackman is he's always in there. Uh, Kenny Moore is always in there making tackles. Um, that's a really good question. I mean, I guess the guy that I'm I'm most um, surprised by in a in a in a way that he has taken on a bigger role than what I thought this season. And maybe this maybe I shouldn't feel this way, um, but you know, I can only speak for myself as Dio Dengbo. I mean, I I knew that he was going to take a step this year, but he seems like he's really destined for you know, 10-plus sacks a year now going forward, starting starting with this Well, year. he's got- starting to show why they went ahead and took him with right. the injury to, to wait it out because he's clearly going to be, you know, he may not be a superstar at any point, Matt, but he clearly is going to be a guy that, that you can solidly right. rely on, right? That's right. And, and again, maybe it's shame on me because he had a really good end of the season last year. I mean, I think in the last four games at the end of last season, he had four and a half sacks. And he had six sacks last year, and he kind of is picking up right where he left off. You know, getting more playing time. He's just, he's turning himself, quite frankly, into a guy that you can't take off the field, whether it's first down or third down. You got to have him out there. And what I like most about where the Colts are at right now, you you asked about you know the, can you can you be real about this three game winning streak, and you can. But what you can be really optimistic about, and then probably the the area that has showed up the most consistently during this three-game winning streak is the pass rush. And what I like is the fact that it's not just DeForest Buckner fighting through double teams anymore. You know, if you're going to double team uh, DeForest now, you got to contend with Ebicom winning his matchups, Quiddy Pay winning one-on-ones, and same thing with Dio Dangbo. I mean, the Colts right now, they have four players with at least five sacks, and they're one of three teams in the NFL that can say that. So, that's the part that I'm, I'm probably the most encouraged by, spearheaded by Dio Dengbo with his uh, career-high six-and-a-half sacks. But they got 15 sacks during this three-game winning streak, and they're pretty consistent. They've got at least four in the last three in each of the last three games. And I think that part 
should be able to carry over and going forward in these last six games, hopefully on Sunday. They're a banged-up offensive line. they got a rookie quarterback. They just switched out their left tackle. Their right tackle's up and down as well. Hopefully this is another game where the Colts can feast on early early downs, first and second down, and, and take the opportunity to give the ball to Derrick Henry on second and third down away from them by being behind the, the chains in terms of down a distance when, when Tennessee's on offense. The other side of the question would be this. Give me the guy that you would have anticipated you were going to be calling his name a lot more, and quite frankly, to this point in the season, and I'm not talking about Shaq Leonard, but to this point in the season, you go, man, they need more production. Well, again, I just – anybody in that tight end room. I mean, Drew Ogletree, again, through I don't think any fault of his own. He's been banged up. He's missed the last two. Um, you know, Kylan Granson, I know he does a lot of the dirty work, right? And I think we kind of fall into that trap of if he's not catching four balls a game, then he's not having a good game. You know, he's still productive on special teams, and he's still blocking his tail off in the running game. So you have to kind of take that with a, a grain of salt. Um, and then on defense, too, a guy that I thought would get – Maybe a little bit more run now, um, you know, or I should say maybe he would have played more to this point in the season as we go into week 13 than what he has is, is Nick Cross. You know, and especially now, I, I think it was, to me, a little bit interesting how the Colts were going to line up on defense without Shaq Leonard. I mean, obviously EJ Speed was going to play more in that game against Tampa Bay, but I thought maybe they might experiment with, you know, having Nick Cross play that, that hybrid position that Ronnie Harrison um, played a handful of snaps in against Tampa Bay. But I mean, really, I don't know what Nick Cross's snap total um, count is on defense this year, but obviously it's, it's not very high. Otherwise, I wouldn't be talking about it. So just the fact that the Colts, you know, they moved up high in the draft to, to grab him a couple of years ago um, in the third round and, and gave up some assets to bring him in. And then, you know, they started him his first couple of games as a rookie. And really since then, he's been – a really good special teams player, but he just had a hard time being able to kind of crack that code to play consistently on defense. So a little bit surprised by that considering how talented he is and where the Colts drafted him. Play-by-play voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor with us. Matt, the tight end room for the Colts this year has been by committee, like it's been the last probably two seasons or so. I get it. There's been bright spots of where, hey, maybe this guy's going to be the tight end number one. And injuries have certainly factored in there. But that's a longer way of asking you and building off of Jake's questions about names that you've said more of on the radio this year, at least the last two games, I would argue, has been the rookie out of Miami and Will Mallory. He's seen five targets the last two games, two catches for 29 yards last week. I'm not trying to grasp at straws here. I'm I'm genuinely asking, with Mallory, is that situational, or do you expect him to continue to see about the same or more reps with this committee? Because situationally, it's been nice, especially on a couple of those drives against Tampa Bay on Sunday. No, you're right, and Gardner Minshew seems to like him, seems to have some trust in him because, I mean, to your point, and it's something that I was trying to allude to earlier, you know, when he hasn't played a ton. You know, he's been in and, out, in and out of the lineups. He's been inactive. He's been hurt. But when he's played, I think he's played five games, you know, for, for the amount of snaps that he receives, he's received a good proportion of targets, you know, in that playing time. Um, and, you know, at Miami, he was their leading receiver uh, his last year down there with the Hurricanes, and that's all pass catchers, all right? So not just tight ends. He's you know, a really athletic guy, and we all know that about him. You know, it comes from a great football family. Um, and, and, again, Gardner Minshew seems to have a lot of trust and belief in him. 
And so I, just, I think you need that. I think you need just another option to help take the pressure off of Downs and Pittman within this offense, whether that's you know Pierce getting more catches, whether that's uh, Ogletree coming back or Mallory continuing to, to play some more um, and getting you know higher volume of the, of the targets. Um, you know they, they've got plenty of playmakers. They've got plenty of weapons. It's just trying to find uh, the best avenues to get those guys the football and to help them, uh, you know, move the ball efficiently. And to their credit, they've—I mean, the Colts—they've scored at least twenty points in ten of eleven games. You know, there are only a handful of teams in the NFL that can say that. So they're ultra efficient with the football. And again, right now, it's—it's it's basically two guys in the passing game. So every little bit is going to help. And I think Mallory is a good candidate to take on an, an even bigger role in these last six games uh, of his rookie season here. Matt, do the Colts schematically – Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts, is our guest. Do the Colts schematically really do much different than what they did the first time around against Nashville, or do they look at it and say, you know what, it worked the first time around, let's just go with that and and let the chips fall? Well, I think they're going to have to. I mean, first of all, you know, you go, it seems like forever ago, and, and I had to think about it long and hard at the beginning of this week as well. But, you know, week five, that was the game that Anthony Richardson got hurt. That, that That's the game where he banged up his shoulder. So, actually, Richardson started the game. Minshew came in, got hot. I think he was like 11 for 14, if I'm not mistaken, um, coming in off the bench. And that's what Gardner Minshew does in that situation, right? When teams don't have all week long to get ready for his style of offense, the way that he plays, that quick rhythm, timing passing game he just gashed him and he did a really good job of that coming in off the bench and they're going to have to do some things differently I mean primarily because Tennessee's going to have tons of game tape now on this offense guided by Gardner Minshew they're going to be ready for him uh, in the way that he wants to play quarterback but then offensively or I should say within the running game uh, you know the Colts had a they had 193 rushing yards they had a season high 429 of offense that's just probably not going to happen this go around, right? The Colts aren't going to flirt with 200 yards rushing. Um, Tennessee is going to have Tier Tart healthy and active in this game. He was banged up in the first meeting and didn't play. He's their stud nose tackle. He's going to make a big difference. But I think overall, schematically, you're going to see Tennessee play differently. You're going to see them, you know, get out of that kind of that basic, you know, over defense up front, and they're going to they're going to go probably into what has given the Colts a lot of trouble in the last couple of years, that, that pinched in defensive tackle look, whatever you want to call it, the diamond look or the, you know, I know Rick calls it the, the bear front. That's probably what they're going to do. And they're going to be, you know, bounded and determined to not let Zach Moss go off on them like he did in the first game. You know, he had 165 yards. He had a 56 yard touchdown run in that game. Um, so they're going to not, they're, they're, they're going to make sure that that doesn't happen in, in this game and so I think the Colts, you know, that's a long-winded answer or way of saying I think the Colts are going to be, um, you know, sort of, sort of, they're going to have to, to to make themselves make some switches and some tweaks with their offense based on the way Tennessee is going to play them up front on their defense, making sure the Colts don't go off on them, you know, in the running game. Matt Taylor voiced the Colts with us. I know that there was no Juju Brents today, and, and they're still monitoring that. But in terms of this cornerback room, you only play what's on the schedule, but I think they've done a really good job the last couple of weeks. When you look at the the tape or the last couple of games on Will Levis, I know he's had ups and downs as a rookie, but how will he test this cornerback room on Sunday? Well, you know, he, he wants to he wants to push the ball down the field. I mean, that's that's his mindset. That's his makeup. 
and we we've seen that at a small sample size. He's he's got the arm. I mean, he can make all of the throws. He's got a cannon back there, um, and he's courageous, right? He's not afraid to to put the ball up. And you know, to his credit, he's not thrown a lot of interceptions so far in a small sample size. I think this is going to be his sixth game, but. Um, you know, give credit to Daryl Baker. Daryl Baker Jr. has done a really nice job kind of steadying, you know, his individual ship, if you will. Um, you know, had a rocky start to the year, started the first couple of games, then got benched, had to come in in a pinch against the Cleveland uh, in that Cleveland game. We all remember how that went with the with the back-to-back penalties there in the fourth quarter in crunch time. And he's done a nice job of rebounding, um, you know, from that. And you talk about the, the names that I don't say. You're not saying a whole lot of Daryl Baker – in a negative way because he's not it's not like he's gonna he's getting beat down the field. It's not like he's getting um, you know out of position and, and not making tackles in the box in the running game. Um, so he's he's done a really good job without Juju Brents in the lineup. But you know from an individual standpoint, not having Brents out there. I mean, if he doesn't play this Sunday, that'll be five straight. He missed two games early in the season. I mean, obviously that's just not ideal for a guy that you know you drafted in the second round and you're you know, investing a lot of uh, time and resources in, you're kind of pegged them to be, you know, a long-term answer, a starter, you know, within this secondary. Um, so it's just not big for his his uh, individual and personal growth, if you will. Um, but the, the interesting thing about Will Levis is, you know, the, the Colts, as I said, they're, they're getting a lot of sacks, but they're getting it organically. They're not blitzing a lot. They traditionally don't under Gus Bradley. Um, you know, they've, they've got 15 sacks in the last three games, pretty much without blitzing, but Will Levis is, is pretty good when you don't heat him up, just like most quarterbacks. You know, his passer rating when he's not being blitzed is almost at 100, which is really good for a rookie quarterback. So I'm, I'm going to be interested to see, you know, knowing their offensive line is not the best and it's kind of banged up and you got some new personnel pieces in there at the tackle position, is this the game where Gus Bradley kind of goes off script or you know, out, of, out of the norm? Or he sends extra people. He blitzes, you know, to the extent that they kind of did a couple of weeks ago against Bryce Young. We all remember how that game went. You know, Colts got they had five sacks in that game. They had three picks, two pick sixes. You know, maybe you do that again to a rookie quarterback that has shown to be pretty comfortable if he's protected and he can sit in the pocket and, and read and diagnose and deliver the ball with some accuracy. Matt, everybody gets excited about going to Nashville and all the live music there. Uh, have you ever been to this Brown County Music Center in Nashville, Indiana? I have. Well, who did you see? <laughs> I saw I saw Marshall Tucker uh, about two years ago. And <laughs> the, vi- the venue was much better than the show. I'll just put it that way. Well, I heard the venue's cool, right? The venue's great. Now, it's did awesome. you go in? Are you like a big fan of the Marshall Tucker band and so you went down for that? Or was it like, hey, you had free tickets, let's go. And then you're like, yeah, okay. Uh, a little bit of both. I mean, you know, I'm I'm a big you know, old time country music fan, right? So I like I like the the genre of of Marshall Tucker. Um, so yeah, it was kind of you go for the nostalgia feel of it. I mean, obviously they only have one original member, and you know he didn't perform all that well that night. And but you know that going in, so you know it was it was basically you go to hear the songs, have a good time, and and then move on about your night. But have yeah, it, ever- was, it was. Have you ever done live music in Nashville, Tennessee? I have. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Matt, it's amazing because you go, and I know it's like super touristy trappy on Broadway and whatever else, but it is incredible. I don't know about you, but my experience has always been 
when you go into these little honky-tonk bars in Nashville, and it's super fun and cool for sure, but man, you see a lot of like, you know, Jerry Lewis-style performers and country artists and whatever else, and invariably, I think to myself, how are these people not famous? Like, there's a ton of talent out there, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Or you just think to yourself, too, when you're at some of these places, like, how many songs has this guy that I don't know, I'm, I'm watching this guy play guitar right now on stage, how many songs has he written that I know of, and... You know, and, and, and how many how many of these bars within a block radius, how many people performing right now are going to hit it big Correct. within the next five yeah. years? Yeah, or you wonder, too, like, I mean, I have no idea. When I was just rolling through there, you know, six years mm-hmm. ago, was there somebody I was seeing that now is like a main star, and I had no idea back then, you know what I mean? No, without totally. question. Now, no, there was one guy question. walking around with a pet goat on the street, and he, it was a, he was a cute fella. He had a little jersey on and everything, the goat. And I walked up, as naturally anybody would do, and said, well, that's a cute goat. Can I pet your goat and maybe get a picture or something? No problem. That's why he's here. You know, And the goat was friendly. And then it was like five bucks. And now I wasn't going to pay five bucks to get a picture with the goat, but I got a free pet. Does he tour in Times Square? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, exactly. Just, you know, I anybody will do anything for you know, you got Spider-Man walking around, same thing in oh, Times yeah. Square, the whole yeah. deal, right? It's the oh, same yeah. it, everywhere, it, right? It, it's, it's definitely turned into like Las Vegas light, you know. it's The last couple of times that I ventured down there, and I probably won't this time, we stay out by the airport, and it's kind of a pain in the butt to get down to all that scene. You got to get take an Uber, and that that's just not my scene. I don't... I don't travel alone. Uh, I get intimidated by it, to be honest with you. Um, so I, I'll need somebody to go with me. But the last couple of times I've been down there, it's like sorority girl central. Oh, it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, the, the, the bachelorette, bachelorette party city. deal is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And like, and here's the thing about those damn pedal bar things. Okay. <laughs> Every group that's ever been on one of those is convinced they're the first one that's ever done it. Right. <laughs> Woo! Oh, yeah, that is exactly correct, man. That is exactly correct. And somebody goes pie, and they're, they're playing Party in the USA, and everybody's singing along, and, you know, it's, yeah. Oh, it is, it is, un, I mean, it is nonstop. It is a nonstop turnstile of it, no question. Woo girl, Jimmy. Woo girl, indeed, yes, yeah. Matt, Matt Taylor, spot on with the woo girl impression. That is fabulous. Matt, enjoy it. We'll be listening to the broadcast, all right? I appreciate you guys. Hope you guys had a good Thanksgiving. We'll talk to you next week. That is Matt Taylor of the Voice of the Colts here, uh, brought to you by Shelby Materials. Uh, Jimmy, have you done Nashville? I have. Eddie? I have not. You know, Eddie, you could go in the in the dead of winter and walk around there on Broadway without a coat on, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got that natural insulation That's going right. for you. That's right. Isn't that right? I mean, look, somebody jumped on me and said that I was fat shaming you. I, your girlfriend's one that said it, not me, right? See, she corrected herself after the fact because it's just a couple days ago prior to Tuesday. I think it was like Saturday or something. I said something in regards to I think I'm cold-blooded because like, I can walk out in the cold and I'll be just fine. Like The cold doesn't bother me. So that's the cold what never she meant bothered to you say. anyway? Yeah. Okay. Cold, okay. I hate cold weather, but I will say you do get used to it. It's the wind more than anything else. Yeah. I don't mind the cold. It's just when it's windy. Now I'm going to be in Milwaukee a week from tomorrow, so we'll find out, right? I'll be at Lambeau on Sunday night. So we'll Are you really? Out. Yep. You're doing Lambeau, huh? Who are the pack taking on? Who do you think they're taking on? Oh, okay. Have you been to Lambeau? <laughs> I've not. First time. It's great. Have you been to Lambeau, Eddie? I have not. It, Green Bay, will it will blow you away because I'm not kidding you. It's like the size of Terre Haute. I mean, it's an NFL city, and you come in on the interstate, and then boom, there's Lambeau, <laughs> and, and it's 
I mean, it's that that is the draw in town. I mean, there's no like skyline or anything else. I mean, it's Lambeau Field, and yes, then that's why we're staying a half hour away because from a price Appleton? point standpoint, yeah, we're staying in yeah. Appleton. Yep. Yeah, it's. A, I mean, it's a cool area for sure. So Indiana now. Ma- Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Making official that Kurt Signetti is their new head football coach. It is not an easy job, obviously. As a matter of fact, I was born in September of 1972, and in my lifetime, there have been 10 head football coaches at Indiana University, and seven of those 10 left not on their own decision. Only three left in circumstances other than a termination, and one of those was when I was three months old. John Pont left for Northwestern. The other two would be Sam White, who after one season left to go to the Cincinnati Bengals, and then tragically the other, which certainly kind of has a star next to it, uh, Terry Hepner, of course, becoming ill and, and passing away. But the other seven were – it did not end well for them in Indiana. It is not an easy job. But Kurt Signetti, for those that are unfamiliar, here is your kind of biopic, if you will, the quick glance at Kurt Signetti, who will be the new head football coach. Signetti comes from James Madison University. He is 62 years old. Probably the most prominent job that he held was he was an original member of Nick Saban's staff at Alabama for four seasons in 2007, including as a recruiting coordinator at Alabama. That was after he had been a coach at North Carolina State, the quarterback coach that oversaw and helped develop Phillip Rivers. He has a vast coaching background. He had played collegiately as a quarterback at West Virginia for two seasons. He's a native of Pittsburgh, but he has coached at Pittsburgh as a graduate assistant, followed by Davidson, Rice, Temple, Pittsburgh, North Carolina State. All of those essentially in quarterback or offensive positions. Then he became a wide receiver coach and recruiting coordinator at Alabama before getting his first opportunity as a head coach at Indiana. Not the one that you think, Indiana of Pennsylvania, where they had a 4-10 and conference record prior to his arrival, and in his first season, they finished at 7-3. and His record is impressive in the fact that actually he went, yeah, 7-3 and in his first year at Indiana, Pennsylvania, then 12-2 and in year two, 9-2 and in year three, dipped at 6-5, and five, then back to 9-3 and three and 10-2. and two. That allowed him to then take the job at Elon, where in two seasons he was 14-9 and before becoming the head coach at James Madison. And at James Madison, very, very successful. 14-2 and in year one. NCAA uh, championship, lost in the championship game. And then 7-1 and in 2020. 12-2 in 2021 lost in the national semifinal last year eight and three this year 11 and one and the talk of college football all told 119 and 35 is the record for Signetti he has three children for what that's worth Um, and his father was also a football coach who coached at West Virginia and is in the college football hall of fame so a football guy through and through, but Jimmy, I think all told, and I will, I like Jufron sauce. It's kind of a banana sauce that, that is popular in 
uh, I think like in the the eastern or, or I'm sorry, like out in the Pacific. But nonetheless, I'll put Jufran sauce on on the crow that I'll eat because Scott Dolson I think went out and got a home run higher. I thought Indiana would would sit around and wait. I'm a little bit. It feels like they got a coach, Jimmy, quite frankly, that some of the other open programs theoretically probably would have had an interest in. Yeah, he would have been on their radar for certain. He's a winner everywhere that he's been. He is, from a recruiting standpoint, helped either develop or attain multiple different college stars that some went on to be NFL stars in that regard. Again, I get it. The programs are different in that regard. But Phillip Rivers at NC State was part of the process that helped recruit Russell Wilson to NC State. He finished at Wisconsin, but he did spend a couple years there at NC State first. And then in Alabama, Julio Jones, Mark Ingram, Deonta Hightower. Like, he was a part of all of these different recruiting angles. And I get it. Indiana's not Alabama. It's it's closer to, but not NC State, right? It's a place where you're going to have to not just sell yourself and your staff, but sell that you are building something effectively from the ground up in terms of where IU football wants to return to. But this doesn't feel like a rush tire. It feels like a coach that in terms of the winning pedigree and the ability to go out and recruit and have that resume on hand when trying to build where you are at Indiana, that it's a good hire. Does it mean it's going to fully work out? No, but we stressed this yesterday and in the days that followed the initial announcement that Tom Allen would be let go they needed to get the ball rolling on this in fast because the transfer portal that starts on Monday cannot be missed. You cannot be behind the eight ball. Doesn't matter if you are Deion Sanders at Colorado with the way he jump-started things. And again, I'm not saying that Signetti's going to do that, but that was such a core piece of the arrival of Deion Sanders at Colorado. He is the cachet Understand that, but same thing at Florida State, same thing at LSU, like places where you see top tier players in the sport. There's a handful of them over the last 12 months that came from the transfer portal. So you can't afford to miss that. And he's capable of handling and developing big names. All those things compiled in. You look at the state of the Big Ten next year, Jake. Dave Rebson was on earlier. You can get that podcast. Just search Queer and Company wherever you get your podcast of the Big Ten Network. And he mentioned that with the portal and with recruiting, it's no longer necessarily a three-year must-have timeline before you get competitive again. You can have a relatively quick turnaround if you have a couple of home runs in the portal. But when you look at the state of the Big Ten, IU is never going to be, I won't say never, but they're more likely never going to be in the case of Ohio State, Michigan. You had USC, you had Washington, you had Oregon, but that's not what's being asked of him. What's going to be asked of him is, like you mentioned, a middle-of-the-pack program that occasionally has a top 15 in the country season that sees success in bowl games. You can't run without walking first. Sure. And the thing about Signetti that I like is that he has been to programs, notably IU Penn State. And yeah, smaller level, sure. But he's been to programs where he had to infuse life into it, right? He didn't walk. This isn't a guy that walked into situations where the, key, the, the car was running and he was handed the keys. He had to really tool things together. And to some extent, football's football, right? And so you hope that he is able to do that at Indiana. He is absolutely starting with a basically a, a a bare cupboard coming in and starting from scratch. I think Indiana does have better resources than it's given credit. I think that they're aware of the NIL challenges and trying to get that juiced up a little bit. And maybe he is able to get that because he can go in and say, look, I've coached Phillip Rivers. I've coached you know some of the quarterbacks at Alabama and get some players in there. 
For Indiana, I have always said, and the same was true with Purdue, when you had Joe Tiller and people at Purdue, I think, got a little bit restless toward the end of the Tiller era, and they realized now how good he was. And for Indiana, when you had Bill Mallory and people got restless at the end of the Mallory era, you got to know who you are. And to be on the par with Minnesota, with even Iowa at times, you know, Kirk Ferentz has made a living at Iowa by having teams that every four years are senior-laden teams that maybe they're not flashy, maybe not glamorous, but they get up there into the 9, 10, 11 win category, and you know who you are. You're not – and I know that people can say it's a loser's mentality to just accept this. I get it. But for right now, at least, you know you're not going to be Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan. You're just not. So you – if you're rock climbing, you just get to that next rock and get solid footing on it before you then figure out where you're going to go. And that's where Indiana needs to go right now. But Kurt Signetti um, hired as the Indiana football coach. The Jay Cook play. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you of the day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Today's plays of the day will start first in the NBA. Give me the Pacers to beat the Heat on the money line tonight in South Beach. They're at plus 120 from a odd standpoint to win outright in that same game. It's a bet that I've gone to all season. Has a nice track record. We'll see if it continues tonight. Over 36 and a half total points plus assists for Tyrese Halliburton in Seahawks and Cowboys. The birds are getting nine. I'm going to stay away from the spread. We'll go with a prop bet instead. CeeDee Lamb as an anytime touchdown scorer. Where's that game played? That is played in Dallas. I was wrong when I told you that earlier. Ooh, ooh, ooh. That hurts. Eddie, you had mentioned the Seahawks are wearing their Your favorite uniforms. Yeah, you're wearing the hat in honor. They're wearing their throwbacks, right? Yeah. Oh, Seattle. All in. All in on Seattle. If it was in Seattle, I'd say Seattle by 10 anyway. But they'll, they'll, so you'll gladly take the nine points and, yeah, what and the hell? have about your day. All Jimmy, right. I have a question. Why do you take the points plus assists and not just either one? Theoretically, he's going to go over on one of those two in order for that bet to hit. Because my luck, I'll pick the wrong one, so I'll just take both. And So it's a cop-out. Yes. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, sure. He's, he's 25 and a half points for him. Will he probably get there? Yes, but he's basically averaging a double-double this year. I, I like rooting for both. I don't know. one 800 with it. telephone number, by the way, in case you're wondering. Right? Yes, that's uh, That's correct. it, though, Jimmy? That's all I got today. Eddie, do you have anything? Negative. Do you hate anything that I've done? Usually hate some of my stuff. Any, any hate tonight? I do, but I'm not going to uh, okay. say it over the airwaves. All right, then. I don't like so, the Pacers tonight. All right. When are I you did. driving up to Green Bay? We're leaving Saturday morning, 9 a.m. So you're going to spend the night in Appleton? Yep. You should at least stop in Milwaukee. Okay. Have you been to Milwaukee? I have. It's a cool city. Yeah, we went... Um, like, there would be more to do in terms of getting a bite to eat and that kind of thing in Milwaukee than Appleton. Right, yeah. Uh, two summers ago, we went. Those now, you can stop... Game. Did you ever watch Making a Murder on Netflix? Uh, it, it, I saw episodes and got the highlights on social media, but didn't watch all of them. I went now. to the junkyard where that all went down. Did anybody yell at you? It's uh, always my question. I, I will say, so the brother still runs it. Sure. Um, not overly friendly. Wasn't terrible, but not overly friendly. I mean, you know, I, he wasn't ready to like do a podcast. I'll say that. Um, but there's a lot of cool stuff in Wisconsin, actually. 
I realize this is a weird way to like close the show, but since you took us down that path of making a murderer, the only time I've ever done something like that in terms of going back to where something happened, my wife and my mother-in-law were big in and still are into the true crime scene. And we drove to, we can only get to the gate, right? It's still on the street side. When we were in Carolina to the Myrtle house. But oh, we could, really? But we couldn't yeah. get through because they had all the Paw signs. Paw and the boys, right? <laughs> Correct. Dog kennel. Yeah. Correct, exactly. So, uh, but they had all the signs like, hey, this is monitored private property. I you went cannot cross. last year. So, okay. I actually have a friend that, that was roommates with him. Really? In law school, yeah. But uh, last year when we drove to Lawrence, Kansas for the Kansas-West Virginia basketball game, we get in the car and Shannon was all in on that trial, and it was the day that he was on the stand. So we listened to the entire thing, like, and so it's hard to get not kind of drawn into it, right? Sure. Um, I also, when I was in Wisconsin, went to Plainfield, Wisconsin, which is where Ed Gein lived, and he was the he was basically the inspiration, for lack of a better phrase, the true story of Hannibal Lecter and Silence of the Lambs, mm. and small tiny tiny town middle of nowhere wisconsin i drove in and immediately got pulled over and and then as i went to the cemetery where ed gein had like basically pulled out victims several people like were walking up like would park in the cemetery and come up to me and were like asking me like what are you doing why are you here and then finally a guy came rolled up and he was super nice and he goes hey let me show you something and he takes me in the cemetery into like a little like fake mausoleum and there were cameras inside with with video boards and he's like look we monitor everything that comes through here because there are still so many like cult-like groups that come to this area Mm -hmm. so the second that you rolled in because you did not have wisconsin license plates it flagged every single like watch group (laughs) in the town sure and that's why everybody's come here and the guy was like i'm not actually from here my wife is he was very nice and very understanding and I think it was kind of eye-opening for me as well because he's like, look, man, the gas station where you rolled in, I go, yeah, and he goes, the woman working right now, her mother was one of Ed Gein's victims. Yeah, I mean, the ripple effect ramifications Correct. of that, you don't even think and about a it small for a sound like and that, how right? long it can linger. Like you just man. think like, oh, you yeah. know, and it's like, I mean, yeah. it, it was kind of a sobering reality, I guess, right? Then I kind of felt bad, right? Yeah. And then, and the guy was... After all that, the guy then finally says to me, like, you know, I kind of get it, though. Like, it is pretty fascinating. And I'm like, yeah, it's crazy, crazy stuff. So Pacers money line tonight. <laughs> uh, Pacers are where tonight? They're in Miami. They're in Miami. Good thing. It's the other one that's going to be the rough one, right? Because they got a little bit exactly. of free time you down got, there. You got two nights, uh, right. two nights in Miami to play with. Uh, okay, so tomorrow we will do the two-minute drill. We'll get you set up for the weekend, including the Big Ten championships. Do you say 20 or 50 is the out time here? 55-50. 55-50. That means I got 35 seconds. Mm-hmm. What are we supposed to talk about now? Are we supposed to talk for another 30 seconds about the fact that your girlfriend had mentioned to you that you have free insulation? Yeah. Yeah, we can do that. I, I suppose we can you know, end the show how we started it. By the way, John is at the dugout in Fletcher Place. Great place if you want to go by there. Um, lot to love about the dugout. It's a super cool area. I'm sure my buddy Paul the Mailman might be there, so be sure and say hi. You can stop by, see John, listen to the show, listen to him talk about Kurt Signetti, which is the new hire for Indiana football. I'm sure that's a topic of conversation. And, of course, enjoy a cold one while you listen to him until 6. We'll be back noon tomorrow.